Living beneath the city lives a tribe of hideously deformed beings, once human, now pale-skinned, cannibalistic, mutated monsters. But enough about the Kardashians. We'll be talking about <laughs> subterranean horror on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Okay, so Jason, uh-huh. okay, since we are recording the night of the presidential elections, right, and this show is going to air when? This Friday. Okay, so after the election, mm-hmm. presumably, um, <clears throat> I'm going to record coming out of the theme, we're going to record two different ones based on who the winner of the election oh, is. Oh, yeah, okay? that, that makes sense. Okay, so uh-huh. this is going to be take one. Okay. If... if um, Donald Trump wins. Okay, okay. Ready? this is Donald Trump. This is Donald Trump. And three, two, one. Oh my God, the world's <laughs> going in! Oh my God, our money's on fire! Oh my God, oh God, oh God! Okay. Okay. Uh, that's just one. That's, that's one. Okay. So, this next one? This next one is if Hillary Clinton wins oh, the election. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, that ready? makes sense. Uh-huh. Three, two, one. Oh my God, the world's on fire! Oh my God, the world's going to burn! Oh my God! Yeah, I can see the difference. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there's something for each one there. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Okay. That's good. So, other than the um, our nation going to hell, how's everybody there doing? Was, there was that split second. I'm like, is he really going to just pick one and like go? Anyway, we're good. We're awesome. Good, good. So we're talking about subterranean horror, <laughs> yes, because I'm going to be living underground now after hey. this presidential election. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah, so movies that take place underground, like in caves, subways, the sewers, you name it. So before we do that, let's introduce you to the podcast crew. First off, he loves spelunking, and I told him if he keeps doing it, he's going to go blind. Sam Hayes, everybody. <laughs> it feels so good. <laughs> it feels good to spelunk. <clears throat> <laughs> He's been working in a coal mine, going down, down. Working in a coal mine. Oops, about to slip down. He's Brian Clark, everybody. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> and, um, next up, this next podcaster is cool. <clears throat> For. For our next member, you'd expect me to do something, some kind of sick innuendo about deep, dark holes, but I'm drawing, I'm even going to draw the line somewhere. So, Terry Turford, everybody! <laughs> uh. <laughs> hey! <laughs> and lastly, the only subway he's ever been inside of was a cold cut combo, Jason Bollinger! What? Yeah, hey. Wait, he was inside of the well, cold hey. That is not what you're supposed to do with the sandwich, dude. Oh. You, you, you warm it up for like 30 seconds. It yeah. feels like the real thing. Uh. <laughs> I've been told. You've been told. <laughs> Just stay away from the spicy mustard. That's... <laughs> 
Oh, man. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, before we get into the topic, maybe we should do a little bit of... dun dun dun, dun Killer News. Now it's time for... Killer News. Ripped straight from the headlines on attack on the Killer Podcast. He knows we have music for it already, right? He still did. (laughs) (laughs) So our top story tonight in Killer News, George Romero wants to make, guess what, a zombie movie, but a zombie noir film. But he can't seem to get the funding. Thoughts? Really? Is there a, uh, a a working title for this? I haven't heard of this. No, I didn't. I couldn't find a title anyway. Um, apparently, the one of the article I read said that uh, <clears throat> after after Diary of the Dead, it actually had some financial success. So the producers wanted to jump right into it again, and that's where Survival of the Dead came from. Um, but when he had the idea for Survival of the Dead, he had the, he had an idea for two more two more movies, and that was Survival, which was his western version, uh, like a like a, a western version of a zombie film, and then a film noir style zombie film. <clears throat> um, but that one, but since Survival tanked, um, he couldn't get the funding for for the film noir one, and hasn't been able to get the funding for it since apparently. And it's been like seven years since survival, and you still can't get this one made. Any opinions? Hmm. Do you think he wants to do zombie movies, or do you think he feels like that's kind of what he's stuck with? I feel. I feel like. I mean, that's what I'm worried about. Like, I'm. I'm just like George. Just make a film noir movie. It doesn't have to be zombies. Yeah, I don't even care something. if it, Yeah, I don't even care if it has anything to do with horror. Just make a different movie. You don't have to do I being the biggest George Romero fan ever and ever. love zombie movies, you don't have to do a zombie movie, George. You have my permission. To, yeah. You don't have to do a zombie movie. And it said in the article he was like quoted as to like when he made Land of the Dead, you know, there you know, uh zombie movies were you know, you pitched you pitched your zombie movie, and um, you know budget wasn't an issue as far as like it didn't matter how big or small, and um, <clears throat> and they were cool with the subtext. But nowadays, because of like Walking, he quoted because of Walking Dead and World War Z, that you go and pitch a zombie movie, and you're like, oh well, Brad Pitt made like this blah 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 billion dollar you know zombie movie. And that's the expectation, and like, um, you know, the the uh, financiers uh, turn their nose up at any like subtext to the story. So, and you know that, and that's what George is all about. No matter what he's making, if it's a if it's a movie about zombies or if it's a movie about guys running around on motorcycles fighting like knights, doesn't matter. There's hint, there's meaning <laughs> to those to his stories. So. There's so There's many little independent zombie movies, you know, quirky, oddball little things that have come out in the last 10, 15 years or so. Yeah. it's And, you know, those were all risks. A lot of them had no names in the 
in the cast and all that kind of so how how is george romero not able to get money i know is he like asking in the wrong places well one he's in canada now yeah so i don't know i'm gonna be uh i'm I'm gonna be uh, make a blind statement here but i would think it'd be a little easier to get funding being up there I also would like to know what exactly does a zombie noir movie mean? Are we talking like Sam Spade kind of stuff? Like I knew she was troubled the minute she walked into my office, dribbling grave dirt and rotten flesh all over my brand new rug, <laughs> kind of thing. That's where I'm on the other side of the scale, where I'm like, I kind of want to see that, just because I want to know what it is, what it's like. Yeah, I want to know what he actually has in mind, but. He does not have to keep making zombie movies. I don't understand what's going on at all. Like, if he wants to keep making movies, he's there's got to be ways for him to get to get some financing. And he doesn't have to be pigeonholed into doing zombie films. Right. I'd, I'd take another movie like Bruiser. I loved Bruiser. That was like his first uh, his first film um, working in Canada. Bruiser was awesome. I, I, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I have it. <clears throat> you know, it's it's rather um, it's a little bit more on the surreal side for George, but uh, I mean that's kind of what I liked about it. <clears throat> or Martin. Yeah, Martin still is one of my all-time favorite movies. Monkey Shines. Monkey Shines is awesome. Yeah, See, he could do other things besides zombies. He can. Yeah. I just I actually just saw Night Rider like a month ago for the first time. Sweet. Night Riders rather. Yeah. You should do something like that again. I know cuz that movie's awesome, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you have to take a week off work to watch it all or Jesus, dude. <laughs> it's kind of a long one. Just I'm just, just the whole day. <laughs> the whole day. How does he not get funding? I... If he can't get funding, we're all fucked. Right? Is that what that means? Or see, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just a bad script. I don't know. That could be. I mean, again, I I love George to death. I love his movies so much. But you know, there could also be a point where his time has passed. You know, I did not like Survival. By the way, sorry. Whatever happened to the Diamond Dead? Remember that project? What the hell happened to that? Was that was that back? Was that one pre? Um, was that one pre Land of the Dead when that was talked about, or was that? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think that had a lot to do with that time between <clears throat> the Dark Half and Land of the Dead, where he wasn't doing anything, and that's because he got he got sucked into the studio system and was in what they call pre production hell for the next 15 or so years where every project that came to him slipped through his fingers for whatever reason. He was attached to to do the original Resident Evil. Uh He was attached to to do the Mummy remake. Yeah, and Goosebumps. And Goosebumps. And then that Diamond Dead movie or whatever it was called. So he had all these projects available to him and something happened. And it just got to the point where... If you don't have a picture, the phone stops ringing. So, <clears throat> kind of sucks. Yeah. I think maybe that 
that whole partnership, like, uh, what was that, Orion, I think? Because like, I think it was a three-picture deal with Orion, which was, well, shit, is that even right? Because Monkey Shines was Orion. Was Dark Half Orion? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was part of the studio studio deal. Cause, I mean, I mean it, it was, was a obviously King a studio movie, deal. Big money yeah. behind it. But then, like, but then Two Evil Eyes came out around that time, too. That wasn't Orion, though. Maybe he still did that on his own or whatever, but but that was also, like, after Dark Half was around the time Orion went bankrupt and went was was no more. So, so that, the, the three-picture deal or however many pictures that was supposed to be, that, that ended up not happening. I mean, he got at least two out of the deal, but... Uh, but even still, you know, those aren't <clears throat> aren't his strongest films. And I think that's just because, like, I just don't think he has the ability to work in the studio system. And there's nothing wrong with that. I actually probably respect the man more that, that can't seem to uh, find his bearings in the studio system. But, but after that, like, I think that was what really hurt him more than anything else is that he just kind of got swept up in it. And nothing was happening for him. Yeah. When, like, he could partner up with people like Richard Rubenstein and do, like, five or six movies together, and they all be great and awesome, and you know. <clears throat> and one opens the door for another thing, so. I don't know. I want him to make another movie, and I'll take whatever I can get, because that would be awesome. And if he wants to keep making movies, then let's go for it. At the same time, if he doesn't, then, you know, I'm fine with that too, you know? He's up there in years, and... Yeah, who knows? Yeah. <clears throat> Alright. Any other opinions about it? Jason, you hadn't said much. Well, it might just be because he's 100 years old. <laughs> but, anyway... <laughs> Well, what do you mean, it. like, why no one will give him money? Think yeah. he's just too much of a health risk? <laughs> he's not in bad health, though, is he? He's just, I mean, he's no, old, but he's not, like, you know... Feeble and it, It's not like bound. HBO made George Martin give him an outline for the rest of Game of Thrones because he weighs <laughs> 500 pounds and they're afraid he's going to have a heart attack and die before he finishes writing the damn books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. Terry, do you have any thoughts on it? Okay. We put her to sleep already? That was quick. That was quick. That was quick. Get me going on muted. about George. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> um, if, well, I mean, if we get a new film from him, that'd be awesome. But I'm sure there are a lot of different factors that are weighing in on the funding issues. So There's got to be, yeah, there's gotta be right? Can you know, yeah. How can a movie like... Uh, um, Scout's Guide to the, the Zombie Apocalypse get made, and yeah. George that was can't a, get yeah. a film going. I mean, if they, I feel movie. like Super if they fun. really want to fund it, they could crowdfund <clears throat> the shit out of a movie for George Romero. Like, there are so many fans that there's yeah. no way that wouldn't be able to happen. So, and that was the problem. Maybe he's just so old he can't figure out how to use the computer. <laughs> he can't get Kickstarter to work. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, maybe he can't wrap his his brain around the idea of crowdfunding, but uh, yeah. I'm surprised that hasn't been tried yet. I mean, heck, even Linnea Quigley was crowdfunding that, you know, that's, that sweet documentary she was wanting to do. 
you know, so it can be done. Anyway, we can move on. <clears throat> My next bit of news. <coughs> um, this one, this one hit me hard. Uh, we had another death in the world of horror on October twenty seventh of this year. John Zacherly died. Um, oh. Probably my all-time favorite horror host. Uh, died at the age of 98. Um, <clears throat> good for him. Making it yeah, that that's far, a good, right? Yeah, that's a good life. You know, and he had quite a life, too. Um, it's interesting that uh, <clears throat> he was a local TV personality and had the career, ended up having the career out of that that he had. Um he was a horror host. He was a top ten recording artist, a presidential candidate, and the voice of Elmer in the movie Brain Damage. So I'll give you a brief history here, but I but I, I want to save a lot for um, something I want to do later on that I haven't quite figured out what capacity I'm going to do it in. But I want to do some kind of tribute to to Zachary, um, since he is my favorite horror host and 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 one of the one of the biggest horror hosts that ever been. So uh, he started out as Roland um, at W WCAU's Shock Theater in 1957. Um, <clears throat> he recorded. Uh, he was friends with Dick Clark because Dick Clark around that time was working at that same station, and uh, you know Dick Clark kind of broke out with American Bandstand, and um, even Zachary. Got to appear on American Bandstand uh, a few times, thanks to his uh, friendship with Dick Clark. Um, but Dick Clark helped him record the novelty the novelty song "Dinner with Drac," which actually broke the top ten national hit list in, uh, in 1958. Uh, then he moved to New York w, to uh, to work at WABC TV um, when, uh, and that's when he started going as Zachary. Uh, in 1960, he moved to WORTV, and as a promotional gimmick, he staged a presidential campaign. And his platform, his platform can be heard on his album "Spook Along with Zachary," uh, which came out in 1960, which came with a Zachary for President book and Zachary for President poster set, which are high, high collectible items today. So, um, <clears throat> so yeah, and then like he. Uh, he he helped out a lot of like uh, filmmakers in the New York scene in the '80s. He um, had a friendship with Frank Henenlotter, where he did the voice of Elmer in Brain Damage and played the weatherman in Frankenhooker. Uh, and he even um, did the introduction of to the movie uh, Geek Maggot Bingo for um, Nick Zed. So. Zachary, uh, this this guy right here, anyway, is gonna majorly miss good old Zachary. So, but I will always have my horrible horrors DVD. Thank you, Jason, <laughs> that I could play at any time to uh, get my Zachary fix. So, uh, anybody anybody else really familiar with Zachary? Not really. No. <clears throat> just just a little, but just based on me <laughs> stuff I've seen you watching. Yeah. And he had quite a great personality and a great shtick on his show. Um, he would always do like these little weird experiment things, and you know, and, and all, you could just tell a lot of it was riffing, and it was always like genius. 
very good, never broke character, and very awesome. So, anyway, <clears throat> um, Brian, what about you? Are you familiar with Zach Early at all? I've never seen any of his shows. I know who he is. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've there are a couple of songs of his on a Halloween, like, horror music mix CD that Rob Zombie put out a whole bunch of years ago. Um mm. So I've heard some of his music, I guess, more than I've seen any of his shtick on on uh, TV. Yeah, he had uh, he had a few different albums, and they got re-released on CD a few years back. And I managed to get my hands on one of them, but I want to get I want to get uh, all that I can uh, of his stuff, just because I'm that much of a fan. So okay. Uh, have, have any have any of his things been put out on DVD like Elvira's have? Like, are there any you know sort of best of compilations or anything? Uh, there is a well. There's a couple things. Um, there's uh, I've mentioned it a few times on the show, and um, here just a minute ago I mentioned it too. There's a compilation video that came out in the '80s called Horrible Horrors, where it's not necessarily clips from the show. But it's it's a mon it's a like a montage collection of clips from from um, from old B movies and and uh, and schlocky horror and sci fi films from back in the day. And Zachary, the character, hosts it, and it does a lot of the same shtick she used to do on the sto on the on the show. That is available on DVD, and I highly recommend it because I used to have it on VHS, and I watched that thing constantly. It's awesome. And it's yeah. also what I get for stepping away from the microphone for a oh, second. So. No, that's okay. That's okay. Um, but uh, I highly recommend that. Horrible Horrors. Uh, you should still be able to find it on DVD. And then there is... I found it on YouTube. I'm trying to remember the name of it. But if you uh, just type in like John Zacherly, you should be able to find it. Because that's how I did. There was some kind of like compilation video that he put together of old clips from his show. That it, that it's amazing how some of that stuff survived. Like he even talks about how the very first one, the very first clip he shows, is when he was Roland back in night when the show started when Shock Theater first started in 1957 out in Pennsylvania, and um, it, it was recorded. And the recording turned out actually great, considering it was recorded by a fan who used a who used a 16 millimeter camera to film the television of him doing his show. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it actually, considering, it's actually pretty decent quality. So, But then he's got clips like kind of throughout the career of Zachary back in the day. So I can't remember the name of the show, but if you type in John Zachary on YouTube, you should be able to find it, no problem. And and uh, it, it's, it's definitely fun to watch. Um, he used to, like interject himself in the movies at times which was always fun he didn't really it wasn't like mst3k style or anything just like you know it'd be like they'd be watching frankenstein and it'd be a crowd scene you know the people getting ready to go after frankenstein or whatever and then it cuts to there's zachary what looks to be <laughs> appearing in the background but it, obviously it's shot separately you know funny just funny little stuff like that but you know good stuff that's what i would recommend checking out Okay. Anything else in killer news? Yeah. Do you remember back in the H.G. Lewis episode when we were talking about how wacky it would be if there was a 4K transfer of the God Monster of Indian Flats? <laughs> no. Oh yeah, I forgot about this. Yeah. Well, 
The American Genre Film Archive has announced that they are teaming up with Something Weird Video after a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, they bought a 4K film scanner, and they're going to do new digital transfers of a bunch of Something Weird titles. They're going to have some <laughs> new commentaries, new stuff with the filmmakers. Um, apparently, each they're going to start coming out in 2017, and they're going to release some of them theatrically, too. Um, oh, the home wow. video releases will all have uh, a bonus move like a bonus feature length movie plus trailers shorts you know your standard something weird stuff where you pay 10 bucks for well i'm sure it'll be more than that but you know you pay for one movie and you get three movies and you know six hours worth of weird ass shorts and stuff um the first wave of releases are going to be the zodiac killer <laughs> curious dr hump pot parents police Flesh Pot on 42nd Street, which is a movie by the legendarily insane Andy Milligan. Oh, Satanist, yeah. The Devil's Mass, and She Mob. But future releases are uh, going to be including The Guy from Harlem, Necromania, Monster at Camp Sunshine, Things to Come, Professor Lust, and in that list is The God Monster oh, of Indian Flats. <laughs> coming out as a double feature with The Legend of Bigfoot. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. And I like to think that this show made that happen. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Even though the Kickstarter campaign in 2015 made Brian. that Brian! <laughs> <laughs> pull that curtain. Um, that, that Necromania... Was it Necromania? Mm-hmm. Is that the softcore Ed Wood movie? Maybe. Like from the 70s when he was doing softcore porn? We'll say yes. Uh, he, did, he did a bunch of those, so I couldn't tell yeah. you. Probably. That seems like something they would do. Well, that's one I've always been curious about. I have um, Pretty Models All in a Row on DVD, which is absolutely the worst softcore porn ever. First of all... That's saying something. How bad could it be? Yeah. It's so bad that Edward stars in it. Oh, in his in his fat, dr- um, drunk, induced last days of his life phase, and he's in his like crusty ass underwear through the whole movie. Ew! But it's like <laughs> women rolling around on this. It, the plot of it is is non-existent. Like straight up triple X porn has got better plot lines than this movie. But um, like. He's a photographer, and a girl comes over for a photo shoot, and he talks her into into getting naked and crawling around on the bed. Then, by happenstance, another woman shows up at the door, and they go through the whole same thing again. So now there's two women on the bed, and it just literally keeps escalating. And that's all it is. It says, here's another person to get naked and throw on the bed. It's horrible. And the, the people are not attractive. And Oh, yeah, it's... It's gross, but I have it on DVD, and I rationalize it because it's got a bonus feature that has like this um, boner feature. Boner feature <laughs> that's got this sweet ass um, Ed Wood documentary that Rhino Video produced back in their heyday, um, where it's like all told through movie clips, kind of like what an Ed Wood movie is, um, and it's a really sweet little documentary about Ed Wood's life. So. It's cool to have that on DVD, and that's the only thing I watch off of that DVD, right? Right. Okay. So, but that's cool. 4K restoration of movies that should never be in 4K. They, uh, it's awesome. Turner Classic Movies on their underground schedule, you know, they play like weird cult movies late at night on the weekends. They played the Zodiac Killer, which was supposed to have been the first 
release of this 4K thing, and oh, I wow. stayed up and watched it. It did not look 4K. I mean, that movie looks like utter garbage anyway. I've got the old DVD of it. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of wonder how much better it could possibly look, even with a 4K scan. <laughs> but it was still awesome just to see that movie on TV. Yeah, that's crazy. I don't know if any of you guys have seen Zodiac Killer, but it's amazing. <laughs> Did you Do you remember that um, something weird had a sort of kind of a TV show back in the day? Is that the one that Sandra Bernhardt hosted? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I used to watch that all the time. That came on right around the time my parents got our satellite dish when I was like 13, 14 years old. So yeah, real, it was on the... Huh? Yeah, I was going to say Real Wild Cinema was the... And yes. I always thought it was I always thought it was weird their choice of movies that they talked about on that show. But then years later when I had a full understanding of something weird video, then it all made sense because it was just mm-hmm. shit from their catalog. Yeah. And and if you go back and watch those shows, and you can find most of those shows on YouTube in full of the Real Wild Cinema. Um you can see um that Mike, the the head of something weird that passed away a few years ago. Um, Mike Varney, um, uh, he was the producer of the show, so. Hmm. But that's out there on YouTube somewhere. I'll have to look up, watch some, because I remember watching that, like, that was one of my first introductions to really weird shit, because. That and, like, yeah, that show, and then there was a BBC show called, um, Incredibly Strange Film Show. Where each episode was highlighting a different like film series or film director, producer, or actor, and it was interesting because this was like this was like mid '80s when no one had ever heard about Jackie Chan, but there was a whole episode about Jackie Chan, and um, they did this, they did an episode on Santo movies, they did an episode on Sam Raimi, did an episode on Herschel Gordon Lewis, they did one on Dor- Doris Wishman. Um, so it was like everything I ever wanted in a TV show. So I would check that one out too. That was a good show. And that one really opened my eyes up to a lot more of the uh, bizarre world of cinema. So Nice. Yeah. Alright, do we have a topic for this episode? I don't remember. <laughs> Subterranean. Oh yeah, subterranean. I've been talking a lot. Who wants to, who wants to take over and... Start talking about a movie. We know Terry does. Huh? Well, that sounds good. So, Terry, why don't you start us off on well, subterranean horror? And you can blame Jason uh, this time. Dang it, Jason. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I watched a movie for this. <laughs> um, I watched The Midnight Meat Train. Nice. Which I... It's a, I mean, I'd seen it kind of floating around when yep. I worked at the video store, and I'm like, oh, that looks like could be interesting, and then I just never, ever rented it because I didn't have enough interest. Mm-hmm. But I did, and it was all right. Um, I didn't realize Bradley Cooper was in it. That was kind of weird. Um, but... I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I had literally planned on watching it. I had it ready to go. I found it on Hulu or something somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever. But uh, and I and but then for some reason I I checked Facebook real quick, 
And then I read like the first line of Brian's review, and I've I've yet to watch it. I probably never will. What was oh, the I first line that I? I said? mean, I just I just I saw you talk about it, and I'm oh. like, well, I'll find something else to do with this hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, that's because it, it was the things I were saying about it were were pretty positive until towards the end. Oh, maybe. I did read the whole thing. Maybe you read it backwards. That's it. I do that. Well, that's. I saw that when it first came out on DVD, and I remember very little about it. So, like, okay, that one I know. Uh, I know apparently only one other person watched it for the show, but I figured that was going to be a big hitter because it's like a Clive Barker story. Yeah. And I actually meant to go back and read the Clive Barker story too, but I didn't have time to get to the library. Um, it's a short yeah, story, isn't it? Originally. Yeah, it's one of the Books yeah. of Blood stories. Which kind of makes sense when you see the movie. I've seen the movie, and I have it on DVD, and it kind of makes sense when you see the movie, because the movie feels really padded. Yeah, well, from what my buddy Scott said, the story is like the last ten minutes of the movie. Mm, that makes sense. Mm. That's like the best part of the movie. <laughs> well, see, I I disagree, and that's weird that I would say the monster part was the part that I don't like, but oh. I actually really <laughs> enjoyed all the stuff with... Bullet Tooth Tony from Snatch being the big scary serial killer. I love that guy, by the way. I can't remember his name. Yeah. I oh, I'm with you. Vinny Jones. Vinny yeah, Jones. Yeah, there yeah, you Vinnie go. Jones. I, I'm with you. He's awesome, and his scenes were incredible. I love that stuff on the subway. Absolutely. He's a great uh, juggernaut, and he's awesome in Euro Trip. He's one of the funniest parts of that movie. Sorry, that's completely off topic. But yeah, that's true. What, a ca- what a cast that movie has. Not only Bradley Cooper, but fucking Brooke Shields is in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the people from House, the TV show with, mm. about the cranky doctor. Yeah. And <laughs> because, of course, this is what I would hone in on, it was directed by Ryohei Kitamura, who directed Godzilla Final Wars. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. He's, a, he's apparently a huge fucking douchebag, according, oh. <laughs> according to August Ragoni. Um, but... And and I totally believe like that dude knows everything there is to know in the whole universe about kaiju movies. And he's met Kitamura in person, and he said that he's just a colossal douchebag. So <laughs> fuck that guy. But um, the ending annoyed me because it introduces the monsters in the last five minutes out of yes. absolutely nowhere. And if this secret society has to nourish and protect them, why serve them at all? What do the humans get out of it other than tasty bits of meat here and there? But like, what is what? Why? What are they there for? Okay, they've existed since before the dawn of humanity. They I were the first life well, form on Earth. Whatever. <laughs> I think it was meant as more of a like keep them at bay sort of a thing, so they don't come up to the surface. Yeah, is kind of what but, I but, got that's out of what it. I remembered. Yeah. But the one guy specifically says they nourish and protect them. Uh. So oh, yeah, why, okay. if if they were that big of a threat, they wouldn't need protection. They could just. Say fuck you! We're gonna leave you down here yeah. to starve, you freaky ass <laughs> monsters. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree with you, Brian. Like, I, I mean, and it totally makes sense if I haven't read that short story, but it would make sense that that piece of the movie was from the short story because it seemed really disjointed from the rest of it. Because I was completely okay with this being like just kind of a weird, creepy serial killer movie. Yeah. Like that's what I like that's what how it was set up for me and I was getting into it all right like it was a little cheesy but I I was enjoying it and then they did that turn which I knew there was something weird going on like there were some vibes throughout but it was just it nah, it was too jarring for me 
Well, I'm and I'm probably mis misremembering it because it's been a long time. I've the only time I've watched it is when it first came out on DVD. But I knew I didn't never read the short story either. But I knew of the uh, the twist with the monsters at the end, so it wasn't out of left field for me at all. Uh, I agree. It 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 kind of like it comes in a little too late, um, you know. And I but I think like that's because the first half is like too long. But um, but I kind of like the idea too that this like quote unquote serial killer with this big old hammer beat you know beating people into bloody meat pulps um, isn't you come to find out he isn't necessarily the bad guy like he's almost kind of the good guy. Yeah, and like, what are those little polyps he cuts off his chest? Is he that like was fucking spawning gross. more monsters? Or oh, yeah, see, I, I could don't have, know. I don't remember that. That was like it, the hardest part of the whole movie to watch. Had, <laughs> had they had they wanted to, you know, they obviously wanted to make a movie with Clive Barker's name on it because that sells. But right. if they're going to do that, and they pick a short story that's like you know twenty pages long or whatever, and then they got to stretch the rest of the thing out to an hour and forty five minutes make up some more stuff about the monsters, weave a little bit more explanation in there. Because exactly. I, like, I like stuff that's, you know, they don't explain too much. They leave you wondering, kind of you can make up your own theories about it. But when they drop it in in the last five minutes with zero explanation, that's just sloppy and lazy. Yeah. Writing. They could have foreshadowed it a little bit better, like, you know, just added bits and pieces and some yeah. breadcrumbs along yeah. the way or something. That <laughs> just, yeah, I don't know. But... but Ted Raimi's death was great. Exactly. I was going to say Ted Raimi, so. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't, didn't mean to step on you there. No, that's okay. Like, that's, you know, another redeeming quality. Even though his death is, like, way CGI'd and cheesy, but. That's totally a Kitamura thing, though. Yeah, I mean, it if, was. If you should. If you watch Godzilla Final Wars, it's like a shitty Matrix ripoff for about. <laughs> three quarters of the movie it's true that movie's <laughs> and, fucking nuts dude that and there's not nearly insane. enough monster stuff the monster stuff that there is in it is great and don fry is fucking awesome in it but the rest of the like human character plot is fucking garbage <laughs> yeah i mean his ted Raimi's death if you haven't seen it spoiler alert he gets hit in the back of the head with the the hammer and his eyeballs pop out and it's super, super digitized and weird looking. Which I feel like most of the movie wasn't like that, which is why it bothered me. Like, it just kind of took me out of it for a second. But Ted Raimi, so I guess I can't complain. Ted fucking Raimi. <laughs> that is a big thing I do remember, too, is that a lot of CGI for... It almost felt like no reason, because, like, there, I, my... the. When I think of that movie, I think of of um, I think of uh, one phrase, and that's CGI blood. Yeah, that's always the first thing that pops in my head when I think of that movie. I'm like, why did they need to do the blood CGI? It didn't make any sense. Anyway, there's only one time where I thought it was kind of neat because they actually did something visually interesting with it. It's during one of the moments where the Bradley Cooper character is hung upside down in the train. Like after he's been, he's like having a dream about it, and he's mm -hmm. like a victim, and it just shows like hands hanging down and like blood pouring onto the floor, and as the pool of blood widens, you see his reflection in it, and that was kind of neat. But yeah, otherwise CGI blood is stupid. 
<laughs> Not that there wasn't a lot of real blood. I mean, there's a lot of people slipping in puddles and writhing around for a while in this movie. <laughs> I feel like that happened at least three or four times. <laughs> but, yeah. It was, it was alright. Cool. So, that's in a resounding meh. <laughs> the podcast yeah. I don't have to watch it now. Right. Dodge well, the bullet again. You can watch it and just shut it off at about the hour and thirty minute mark and be like, okay, I'll just make up my own ending. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a choose your own adventure book. Yeah. Cause the stuff when like Terry was saying, when you think it's just big scary ass serial killer with a hammer, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. So sweet. 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 All right, what's next? Uh, Sam, do you have a subterranean horror that springs to mind? <laughs> I got a million of them. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, of, uh, one of them that I watched for the first time for this episode was a little ditty called uh, The Boogans. The nice! Boogans. Me too. That was one of the five I watched for this episode. Sweet. Nice. Was it your first time too? It was my first time too. Yep. Nice. And but the thing is, it's one of those that I always remembered the box art uh, at the video store, and but I never rented it. But the thing is, is like it didn't dawn on me till um, I watched the movie that I've seen pictures of those creatures before in Fangoria magazine. So. Um, the movie had some traction, I guess, back in the day, at least through Fango. But right. which, what, what, uh, can you explain the Boogans to us for those um, who haven't seen it, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a uh, it's a relatively simple plot. It's uh, pretty sim- yeah, pretty simplistic. Uh, I guess it takes place in a uh, Colorado by this uh, some old mining town, and there's like this old mine mine shaft from like kind of the the turn of the century and they're like reopening it for some reason it had been uh i guess shut down closed off during the early 1900s and uh so they open it back up and all sorts of strange shit starts going down people people are getting killed by a Something you don't really see until like the last fifteen minutes. What these things are—that's <laughs> like much, the yeah. one, the one disappointing thing is there's not a lot of uh, you know special effects until until the very end. But it's you know there's a lot of a lot of character development, so it uh, it held my attention, even though it isn't the most um, rewarding film. There's not you know. A lot to satisfy, I think, modern viewers especially. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's about, like, so to explain it more, some friends, like a group of friends, are, like, staying in this cabin. And uh, they've got, like, this little dog, a dog named Tiger, named after a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, and like that's the other weird thing. There's like a lot of uh, that uh, one dude hated that fucking direction. dog too, didn't he? Yeah, that one guy, that one guy had it out for that fucking dog. 
Well, it's it's an annoying dog. It actually, you know what? My my uh, my friend Joey used to have a dog just like that. I'm not sure what species that is. It's like a little curly haired white dog. But uh, he had a dog like that, and it was named Al. He named he named it after a weird owl. Nice. <laughs> so that's what I was thinking of the whole time was was Al. Awesome. Sounds like. But a no, cool there guy. was like a lot of uh, animal uh, direction in this. What do you call it? Like uh, animal training. Yeah, that dog is a pretty big part of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's like. I mean, the main character is straight up. <laughs> There's like full scenes where it's just the dog going around the house, being yeah, being haunted by these boogans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they ever explained why they called them the Boogans. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's such a weird. I name. was going to ask. Okay, I was going to get to that. Where do you think that comes from? And like the old dude, the one, the the like the you're all doomed character that is like throughout the hidden throughout the whole movie, and right there at the end when he's like explaining, giving the exposition about these creatures in the cave, and he calls them Boogans once, and that's like the whole time. And and it, but it doesn't explain what the fuck is boogans mean, you know, and nobody yeah. questions him on it. Like, what the fuck's a boogan, you know? I but, mean, it's like it's like one letter off from boogers. So is it <laughs> the fact that they're kind of like green blob creatures? I don't know. Maybe that is it. I don't know. Well, or you know, maybe it's like the boogeyman, boogan, something. No, yeah, that, maybe, that would, yeah. I guess actually, um, they're. <laughs> There are a couple of different legends of, of creatures in mines. There, none of them are called boogies or boogeymen, but, but uh, like a Welsh and uh, sort of northern England uh, area. One uh, called the, the Tommy Knockers, which is where Stephen King got the title of his book from, I would assume. <laughs> and then there's uh, one called the Cobalds, which is a German thing, which is where the name of the uh, metal cobalt comes from mm. so there there are lots of superstitions involved with creatures in mines so my guess is they just sort of made one up yeah probably mm-hmm. and by by the way they they are like very odd creatures they're not really uh like anything you've seen before they're kind of like bug-like and reptilian-like yeah. and They've got like snail shells, but their yeah. heads kind of look like a turtle, and they've got tentacles. Yeah, they're they're really quite Lovecraftian, is how I, I would describe them. Oh, that's a good comparison, sure. And just and just kind of like the whole setting is kind of like very Lovecraftian. It kind of reminds me of like I don't know the Lurking Fear or one of those stories. But even still, like you don't get to really see them till like the last you know fifteen minutes or whatever. But you still don't get a full scope of them. Like you see, like a close up on one or whatever, but you don't get a full scope of their the size of them or like the their full, um, yeah, their full structure. Yeah, I don't really think you ever see like their whole body in a shot, except yeah. maybe maybe at the very end. But they've got something like tentacles or tendrils, and there's a lot of tentacles. Uh, yeah. They're obviously quite strong. There's like a fucking scene where they bend like this metal uh, grate, this vent in the house to like break through. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing is like 
So, like, these creatures live in, like, these mine shafts, but, like, the tunnels are, like, somehow connected to the, the <laughs> local houses. Yeah. When somehow. that was explained, I'm like, come on, really? Yeah. <laughs> that is, like, a really big plot hole, because, like, they destroy them at the end by, like, blowing up the mine. But, like, they only blow up, like, one section, so I'm not sure how that prevents them from going back to some other through some other tunnel you know what i mean like oh yeah well it doesn't make sense how they got out in the first place versus how they got trapped back in there because the idea is is they started um you know blowing up the mine or whatever and that's what freed the boogans but how did that make way for them to get to this house my understanding is that they had that access to this house all the time you know what i mean yeah, so was it like... And then when they blow up the shaft again... But they blew up the shaft, and then that Boogan was in the house, in the basement of that house at the end, though, right? That was after they blew up the mine, wasn't it? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I thought, I thought, like, the last thing they did was, like, blow it up. Was that the last thing? I'm forgetting now. Okay. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's, I mean, in order to, like, stop them completely, I would think they would have to, like, you know, close off every single tunnel, of which there are many, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so definitely some plot holes there, and yeah. the classic Boogans. <laughs> the Boogans. And this film's from 1981, so I, I think it looks pretty good for 1981. And they yeah. were they were trying to do something different for 1981. It wasn't a slasher, even though it's kind of got some of the slasher tropes. You know, group of kids, you know, going partying at this house. You know, whatever. But even that is better explained than just being like a group of kids going partying at a house. Like the the two guys are working for the coal mine, and the one girl's the one guy's girlfriend wants to come and visit him for the weekend or whatever so they're just making a party out of it so and the one and the one girl that made me excited for this movie is uh the actress uh Anne Mary Martin Ooh. who is cool to me because she was on the TV show uh Sledgehammer love Sledgehammer I'm a huge Sledgehammer fan <laughs> that cheesy cop comedy satire from the mid to late 80s and she played uh her she played uh dory duro sledgehammer's partner on that show and i you know that was like you know 86 to 88 when that show was on it only lasted like two seasons um one of the best season one endings ever um i'll get into that in a second but like (laughs) Um, I kind of had a crush on her, and so seeing her in this movie kind of revived that because she was <laughs> a lot younger looking and um, was running around in a robe for the last few minutes of her life in the movie. So that was pretty hot. But anyway, so Sledgehammer, end of the first season was genius because they they were on the verge of getting canceled, not getting reviewed for or get, getting renewed for a second season. So the creator of the show decided that they were going to do a plot line where Sledgehammer had to defuse a nuclear weapon that was that was going to 
you know, that was supposed to blow up the town. He's supposed to defuse it. But because he's kind of an idiot, he ends up setting off the nuclear bomb and the bomb explodes at the end of the episode with a big tagline that says to be continued next season. <laughs> so they all, the only reason why they got a renewal is to find out what happened after the nuclear bomb blew off. So the beginning <laughs> of the second season starts with the events that happened at the end of season one happens 10 years later after this season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was fucking hilarious. I mean, at the time, Back when I was a kid, I'm like, that's bullshit. What a fucking cheat, you know? But uh, nowadays, I think it's genius. It's hilarious. Nice. And just right off your cliffhanger. Just so just so you can have a second season. Anyway. Woo! Sledgehammer. Check it out. <laughs> On DVD by Shout Factory. <sighs> so, yeah, Boogans. Boogans. Yeah. Yeah, you know... I love I love the the story of this the whole concept, mm-hmm. and uh, you know there was a lot there was a lot going for it. I I definitely recommend watching it, but yeah, it could have been better. And uh, I think this would you know, I mean obviously I think we all kind of hate remakes generally, but this would probably be good fodder for a remake if you had to remake something. Um, could make for a fun remake and what would be cool is that it would be you know it'd be something different you know it's not like not like um monster movies are getting a resurgence of remakes so to have something like this would be uh would be quite fun i think you're right Mm -hmm. well if you like the strangeness or if you (laughs) oh i gave it away damn it (laughs) if you like the boogans and you want to see more like it check out a movie called the strangeness no. Yeah, you were talking about that online, yeah. so and was, I couldn't find a copy, so I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Uh, you can get it on Blu-ray through Code Red Video. Okay. Um, it's expensive as all their stuff are, but it's worth it. It's a neat movie. Um, it was released in 1985, so everyone thinks it's a rip-off of the Boogans, but in fact it was shot uh, between 1979 and 1980, and the initial release was late 1980, so it actually did predate uh, the Boogans a little bit. Huh. <clears throat> and it's basically the same idea. Uh, a group of friends, it's not a coal mine this time, it's a group of friends decide they're going to explore this old gold mine because, you know, theoretically there's supposed to still be more gold down there or whatever. And they get trapped in a cave-in and there's a monster. There's only one monster, it's not a bunch of them, and there's, no, there's nothing in a house or anything. The whole thing is in this cave. Um, but the monster is all stop-motion. You oh, cool! Don't, you don't see a lot of it, but what you do see is really cool. It's kind of Lovecraftian. It's kind of. It sort of looks like a dick with a vagina on top, covered in uh, tentacles. <laughs> huh. but, but it's it's cool. It's a neat stop motion monster, and so it could fuck itself. Is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Well, it would have to sort of turn inside out to do that. But oh. um, <laughs> gross. Ew. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Because that's not already gross, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's some really cool gore scenes because there's some like one guy gets melted because it's sort of they never really explain why like just one dude gets attacked and disappears and then they find him later sort of laying in a puddle of himself um, and he's got you know they put like vinegar and baking soda in his mouth with food coloring so it's like foaming out of him and it looks yeah. like he's melting and it's it's pretty cool um, so you know. I, I would guess that means the creature like 
eats kind of like a fly, maybe, where mm. it sort of barfs on its food and digests it partially before swallowing it. But, yeah. Anyway, check out The Strangeness. It's very cool. Yeah, nice. I'm intrigued by the title alone. It's an interesting title, so I definitely want to check and that one out. According to the commentary track, that was always the title. It wasn't like a last-minute change. They just, since they've shot it over the course of a year, oh. like basically on weekends, um, it was just, you know, like, we're going to call it that and see where it goes kind of thing. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's it's a good flick. So, and you said it's got good gore in it, right? Yeah, it's got good gore, and it's got it's very atmospheric. And parts of it were shot in an actual cave, and parts of it were shot in a cave set they built in one of their garages, where they basically just made this big, um, like a scaffolding that they then covered in tinfoil and spray painted it black so it wouldn't reflect light. And that was like their cave set. So I mean, talk. I mean, it was made with very, very little money and borrowed equipment, shot on weekends. It's one of those like labor of love kind of things, but it turned out to be way more effective and cool than it has any right to. Cool, cool. Hmm. I'll definitely have to check it out. Now, that makes me think of a movie that I watched that is on the opposite side of the spectrum that had like no gore in it when it probably should have, and that was... Um, from 1973's The Severed Arm. Anybody watch that one? Nope. Nope. Negative. So, so with a title like Severed Arm, I went in with a certain expectation. I didn't read anything up about it other than I saw it on a list of subterranean horror films. And so you, you hear a title like that, and it's from 1973, you're thinking shit like The Hand with Michael Caine or... Or the crawling hand, or you know, like a disembodied hand that goes around killing people, right? You know, something a little more supernatural like that. But that's not what it is at all. So I was I was sucked into the movie right away. Um, basically, what it boils down to: the movie starts off with this guy um, uh, is at home. He's on the phone. He's talking to somebody. He gets a package that shows up at his door. This nice big long package. He opens it up, and it's a severed arm. It's a human arm in this box, and he freaks out, and he calls up his buddy, and he's like, "Yeah, I think this is, I think this is happening again," you know. And you're like, "What the fuck's going on?" And he meets up with this guy who's a police officer, and and then it flashes back to this case, to this instance where these group of fan, friends went um, um, traveling through the caves, and uh, there was a cave in, and they got trapped, and they were trapped in this little little tiny area. For like weeks with uh, very little water and no food and it got to the point where they were discussing the concept of cannibalism um, half of the group was like yeah we should probably do it uh, whoever dies first we should eat them and then the other half is like no way you know we shouldn't do this this is horrible and, and we're like well we got to survive and it keeps going on and they just can't take it anymore and they're like will draw straws, not really straws, they had like paper that they ripped up in the different sizes and they drew from that. And whoever draws the shortest, um, we're going to chop, we're, you, we won't kill you, but we're going to chop off your arm and we'll eat that so we all can live. And, and so the one guy draws the short straw and they like hold him down, he's begging for his, you know, not to do it. And it's just, it's... It's not very well acted, but I thought it, I thought it was a very effective scene because this guy's like screaming for them not to do it, 
And it just, it kind of got to me and I thought it was pretty cool. And I thought it would be, I thought it was even going to escalate even more where this poor guy is still alive and they all are eating on his arm. And I'm like, how fucked up would that be? But then literally at the last minute after they cut off the guy's arm, they hear people outside of where they're trapped and they get saved. People showed up and saved them. So if they would have just waited like an hour longer, it wouldn't have mattered and they would have been saved. So there's so I thought, well, I'm bummed that we don't get to see them eat this arm and add that to the whole nightmare of the situation, but I also think it's like some sick irony that they uh, committed this horrible thing and then was saved within moments anyway. Yeah, kind of like the mist. Yeah, exactly. Irony. Yes, exactly. So they all get saved, and um, um, the one guy is like in a, the, that had his arm cut off is like in a comatose state. He's just that messed up over the whole or- ordeal. Now it flashes back to the present, where they think it's this guy getting revenge for for cutting off his arm. So they get a hold of all the other guys, try to figure out what they're going to do, and it kind of turns into a Ten Little Indians situation where they're just they just get stalked and killed off one by one, who by apparently the uh, the guy who had his arm cut off. Now, when I was complaining before on how there's like no gore in this movie, these are some of the worst kill scenes I've ever seen committed to film. It's like a montage of shots that are spliced together to represent this person being killed. But it's like, you see you see the hatchet swing, you see a close-up shot of the guy screaming, you see a close-up of something else, and just like quick cuts of all these things pieced together when it's blatantly obvious that none of these things are in the same environment. Like, like that axe is not anywhere near where this guy is at. You know, this, this little blood trickle is not on the ground where you're seeing, where you're seeing this guy standing. You know, none of this exists in the same reality. It's as if they shot all those elements on different days. That's how bad it is. And it's, it's, it like, there's even like one of the kills and I can't tell, like one of the guys is a radio DJ and the killer comes crashing through the, the window of the DJ booth with his axe and it shows the axe cutting through the, you know, smashing through the glass, cutting to the close-up of the guy, uh, the shot of the guy screaming, close-up to the axe, close-up to the guy dying. But you never see that that axe come anywhere. Actually, even cuts back to the axe still cutting through the glass, smashing through the glass. And I'm like, you don't even, it's obvious there's no contact. How is this guy dying? <laughs> and I can't tell if it's, he's supposed to have died by the axe or they did set up earlier in that scene how he's taking nitroglycerin pills. So maybe he just had a heart attack. Uh-huh. Maybe that's what they, but it was never explained. So, you know, you just got to draw your own conclusion of it. So, so it's, this movie's like the little engine that could, but ended up not, you know, it's <laughs> like, it, it tries really hard and it's almost all there, but it just misses on so many levels. Like the acting's not good. Um, you know, it tries to create some tension and atmosphere, but they just don't know how. The editing is horrible because the death scenes are just are just non-existent and just poor. But I was into it. I was into the story, and I and I love that flashback scene 
Um, I thought they did a great job with like showing the guys they were like get growing full beards when it's like weeks later, and their like skin is getting like gray and flaky, and they got wrinkles, and like their makeup looked great. But then the cave environment looked like it was shot in somebody's garage. So it's just like they'd hit on one thing and miss on something else within the same moment. Um, <clears throat> and then. Uh, and I, but I, and I love the score. I thought the score was really effective, but then like visually, it just wasn't there to match the score half the time as far as the impact. So it was like I wanted this movie to succeed on so many levels because I was into it, but it just it just kept falling falling apart at times. And then there's a twist that I won't give away because uh, you can watch this movie entirely on YouTube. Um, but there's the twist. The guy, the guy that's killing all the guys has a daughter and they they team up with the daughter to try to uh bring the guy out in the open so they can stop him and 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 uh and then but things go horribly wrong and so and i thought the ending was really effective as i thought that was probably the most effective part of the whole movie i really enjoyed how how the ending is but i won't go into it because it is it is a it is a pretty big twist although i you know, and I hate saying this. I hate when people say this shit. But like, I, I saw it instantly, like from the moment that uh, um, you weren't actually looking. You just I wasn't it. looking, but I'm just like, oh, it's well, it's okay. Well, it's the daughter, you know. <laughs> and then it turns out it was the daughter. And there's there's more to it than that. So I so I gave a little bit away, but not the full twist. Okay. Um, so again, it, it it tried really hard, but. Uh, I still really enjoyed this movie, so if you can look past its flaws, I would check it out. And again, it's free, so what are you losing? An hour and a half of your time? Uh, you know, and bearing in mind, it's early 70s too, so that probably explains a lot um, on its flaws. But uh, The Severed Arm was was uh, was probably one of the favorites that I watched um, out of the ones I watched for this episode. Specifically for this episode, so. Awesome. Yeah. Jason. Yeah. What about you? Oh, well, I want I was going to talk about ones that weren't on your list. And and the one That's fine cuz I know I left a lot of good ones off. Too. Well, there's one I'd love to talk about, but I don't think you've seen it, so I don't want to talk about it. Oh, come on. Don't be a party pooper. <laughs> well, I I mean because I want Mike to see it. Oh. And it's good. Ten Cloverfield Lane. I don't know if you saw that. Oh uh, yeah. Okay, I get it. You can't really talk about that without spoiling it no. for him. I need yeah. more. I, mean, I need. Awesome. I need another drink. So if no, you I just. I had another I one. I haven't seen it either. Yeah. No. But I'd really mention. Does, does Nightbreed count? <laughs> yeah, Nightbreed yeah. count. Yeah. I mean that movie's awesome. It's like half underground. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever watch that? Yep. And the director super super cut. Yeah. With the re-edit and stuff, and the, yeah, it's awesome. Is it quite a bit different? Yeah, really. Yeah, it adds a lot. Unlike the Halloween Six producers cut, <laughs> still a turd. Anyway, that's my opinion. God damn it! Why does everyone hate all the good Halloween movies? <laughs> why do you always pick the weirdest ones out of the franchises? See <laughs> the Chucky? What the fuck? Why he keeps doing it? He picks all the turds. At least he's not saying Halloween Resurrection's the best one of the series. Okay, that's true. No, but it's still fun. Oh. <laughs> First ten minutes is I liked. Yeah, the death of Laurie Strode. But that's it. 
But the <laughs> but the Nightbreed new cut, the new version is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it really just fills it in. It really just makes uh, Yeah. See, I still haven't watched it yet because I feel like I need to go back and watch the other cut first just so I know cuz I don't remember that. enough about I just remember images from that movie. I don't remember anything else about it. I remember the cool-looking monsters, and I remember David Cronenberg as the killer with the zipper face. And I remember you not really liking this movie. Yeah, but then again... I couldn't remember why you didn't like it. The only really time I've ever really watched it was back in the day when I was on a huge anti-Clive Barker kick anyway. Or anti-Clive... Yeah, anti-Clive Barker kick. I said that right. first time. Um, Weird. So, like... (laughs) I had probably a skewed perception of it anyway, just because it's Clay Barker. Ooh, gross. Don't like him. And then, there's, well, there's more questions. What the fuck's that about? Well, okay, I went through this... <laughs> well, I've always been the type of guy that if it's popular, I instantly right. want to hate it. And he was popular in the 80s, and so I instantly wanted to hate him. But beyond that, is and, and I... I even then, we'll admit that I liked Hellraiser 1 and 2, but like my overall issues with Clyde Barker is like I didn't think he was that good of a writer. And this Again, this is 1980s perspective. But it kind of goes in line with what you have issues with, uh, fictional, with uh, fictional writing, and that is like he always goes straight to the supernatural, which means that he can do anything and create any rules and it's just convenient for him and he doesn't have to really put any effort into it Hmm. right you know Hmm. it's it's the convenience argument (laughs) yeah but again that's what i thought back in the 80s well uh, yeah you should watch it again i do i want to but again i feel like i have to watch both cuts and who's got that time oh (laughs) yeah you could have watched Night Riders like three times in the amount of time it would take you to do that. So, well, I was just going to say you could watch it both in the time it takes to watch Night Riders once, and that's actually a lot closer to reality. Anyway, whatever. But I like Nightbreed. It was always awesome. Uh, and, and in retrospect, movie. I love the monsters. But that was my thing, though. It's just like. Kind of need to know where these monsters come from. You wanted more explanation. You wanted more rhyme and reason. Yeah. Not just, hey, there's a magical world and you want to know why. It's like everything I hate about, (laughs) everything I dislike about the X Men. I mean, on the surface, I like the X Men, but as a whole, I'm like, oh, instead of having to create, like, an origin for this character, we could just say he was born with his powers. And that, to me, is just lazy writing. And I understand there's a lot more subtext to <laughs> X-Men than all that, but I'm yeah. hoping you can see my point. Yeah? So, when it comes to supernaturally things, you want an explanation, but when it comes to, like, serial <laughs> killer guys, you don't want an explanation. He definitely does not want explanations what the fuck's that with slashers and... So well, I'm I'm just saying. She's just trying to clarify. That's, that's what you said before. Just trying to figure out that insane Mike brain. <laughs> good luck. Yeah, good luck with that. Shit. <laughs> good point, Terry. Nah, yeah. it's, it's a horrible point. It's two different things. As soon as you're halfway through that sentence, he's like, "Oh fuck! I know what's happening." I know Sarah what's happening. Re- Again, I want to repeat <laughs> that that was my pro- thought process on Clyde Barker <laughs> in the eighties. Uh, that okay. dude was cr- insane. 
It does. But that was, shit was that doesn't X-Men matter anymore. Like this, this century, like two thousand something. That was my opinion of the X Men as well in the eighties. It has <laughs> definitely changed since then because I understand there's more to it than that. But that also that also stems from having to defend DC over Marvel all over the years as well. So I oh no. <laughs> Uh oh! Oh no! Do we need to start Ryan's a separate podcast Marvel too? No, I'm I'm a oh, Marvel, Marvel guy. I mean, DC. it really I'm a dark horse guy. But if we're going big too, yeah, I'm a Marvel guy. Wow, man, you two were getting along so well. Man, it was right? nice, nice having you on the honeymoon show. Honeymoon is over. It's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> One while's lasted, but we'll always have something weird. That's right. We will. <laughs> And the movie. Well, to be yeah. Well, and to be and to be honest, like I'm no guy at this moment. I'm so upset with DC and Marvel to tell you the truth. So I just don't like how comics are written today. And that's and that's trying so hard not to be get off my lawn type of mentality. But <laughs> I just can't. I just can't read those stories. They're just not good to me. So. But that's because, like, God damn it, I grew up on comic books from the 70s and 80s where, like, they were fucking comic books. Why do we need to explain why somebody's running around in cape and the spandex and red underwear? Why do we have to retcon everything to make it more palatable for, like, the masses? If geek culture is truly ruling the world right now, it shouldn't fucking matter. Anyway, so, um... Normies. So, so That's why I just read Hellboy and ignore the rest of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. What other movies? Did you have anything else to say about Nightbreed? It yeah, it's like... awesome. Watch it. All right. <laughs> it's good. It's monsters. It's like fun. What, it's... what more do you get out of that director's cut? Oh, jeez. I'm so bad at this. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just like if you could add... 30 seconds to every scene it's like and it just adds up to like explain a little more and a little better and it gives you so there's cool shots there's it's 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 a great it's it's one of the times where adding stuff back in for a bigger cut was was cool and I was for it and yeah I mean I didn't I never had a problem with the the first cut um, and I always liked it, and so when I, I actually when I watched it, the the new cut, I'm like, well, maybe this will be something, Michael. Maybe I can. Maybe this will be easier for Mike to like. I don't know, but it was it was great, <laughs> and I, and I just loved the movie and the score and the monsters, and it's got some good gore moments, and it's fun. Pretend land. Cool. Okay. <clears throat> Anything else about Nightbreed? From anybody? So, yeah, watch 10 Cloverfield Lane, person. I know. I even have it on Blu-ray, but it's still not even opened. Oh, that's because you didn't buy it and it was a present. Oh, that's right. Okay, that makes (laughs) more sense. I've still got stuff I bought like four years ago still on the plastic wrap, oh, so that's, here, you're yeah. fine. <laughs> I have a lot A lot of my Blu-ray collection is, is still wrapped, but uh, you can't give me too much grief about it, Jason. No. Mine are mostly, I buy them after I watch them, or it's an upgrade, and it's like, well, well, now I got it, so I don't watch it again. 
Well, that's probably a lot of them, <laughs> other than 10 Cloverfield Lane, is ones that I've watched before. Anyway, um, other subterranean horror films. Yes? How about... Oh, go ahead. As you a, first. Has, every, has everyone picked one already? I think we all got around, one round in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just checking. Someone else can go. <laughs> okay, Brian, go ahead. How about Alien 2, Sulaterra? All right, here we go. <laughs> the Jason should have recorded the pre-show before, because uh, we talked about that movie for like 10 minutes before we started recording. <clears throat> yeah. Um, all right, so it was made in 1980, direct cash-in on Alien. It was... A, you know, sequel in name only because Italy did a lot of those. It was written and directed by a guy named Ciro Ippolito who did little to no other horror stuff. He worked a lot in TV and did a lot of thriller type of things. Um, but a space capsule makes splashdown off the coast of a beach town where a group of friends are preparing for a spelunking weekend. Uh, and they're all going to go blind. <clears throat> the capsule had no astronaut. <laughs> yeah, callback, you like that? Yeah, nice. That was like an hour and a half ago. <laughs> The capsule had no astronauts left in it, but it brought back to Earth some organisms which crawl inside people and make them explode because that's what happened in Alien. Except an alien that was part of the creature's life cycle and the thing that went in them was not the same thing that came out. In this case, it happens because it's Italy and they needed <laughs> some excuse for gore scenes. Mm -hmm. um, it's slow and it's weird and it's boring, but it's completely <laughs> captivating in that way that only 70s and 80s Italian horror movies can be. Exactly. And, and the score is abrasive and annoying, yeah. and it sounds like it was written by someone who didn't actually know how to make music or maybe <laughs> even knew what music was. <laughs> but at the same time, it's eerie and effective. Uh, the movie is so impoverished that what you see of the creatures are represented by what appear to be shitty sock puppets covered in scraps of meat. <laughs> and it's no joke. It's really what it looks like. Oh. And because that's not enough Italianness to it, <laughs> Thelma, the main female character, a propos of absolutely nothing has some kind of psychic link with the aliens, which is introduced by, for, with no more explanation than there are two women in the cave with the spelunkers. One gets attacked, and one doesn't. And her boyfriend says, well, maybe the alien attacked the other girl because it sensed that you had a stronger mind and it wants to use you to communicate. And all of a sudden, she can tell where the creature is in the cave and what it's doing and who it's going to attack. And it's silly and weird and kind of wonderful. <laughs> and yet, she doesn't have that power when it's convenient for the movie. Well, no, because it's Italy. <laughs> Because the ending there, she didn't know that that creature was there in the bowling alley. Yeah, and yeah, the final showdown appears to be shot with a POV cam inside the creature's mouth. That is like <laughs> worth the whole fucking price of admission, right there. Is that is that shot POV from the in the mouth? Because 
it's this like pulsating mouth and you're just seeing the girl through the mouth and the whole thing's just like pulsating and dripping and and it's just like a wall it's the whole screen is a wall of gooey red meat with this pulsating mouth and the girl you could see through the mouth just ah or however they say it in Italy but uh <laughs> it's worth it for that shot i thought that shot was awesome i fucking loved it Feels like maybe the whole movie was retcon around that one shot. It could very well be. <laughs> but I mean, even like something like Contamination, which is another alien knockoff. Mm-hmm. But they, I mean, as cheap as these things get, of course, they had enough money to hire a washed up alcoholic American actor to give it some marquee value, too. But, <laughs> you know, they had enough money to pay Carlo Rambaldi or somebody to you know build them a half-ass monster in their garage over a weekend or something but this is like nope we got socks and we got meat (laughs) fuck it we're making a movie in a cave (laughs) and red tempera paint because that's that's like that stage blood make paint from this or blood from the 70s that just is not the proper red Yeah. yeah it looks like melted crayon but it's like super thick in consistency so yeah, it's it's a bizarre movie, and and you were talking about at the beginning how it was an alien aliens ca- an alien cash in so much so that Ridley Scott tried suing, um, uh, tried tried suing the filmmaker because because of that, but he lost because it was brought up in court that there was a book, you know, decades before the movie Alien, and the book was called Alien. And so it got kind of thrown out. So I find it I- ironic that the guy that a lot of film historians nowadays say um, Alien ripped off Italian cinema like Planet of the Vampire, Bavia, Bava, but then tried to sue Italian filmmakers for ripping him off. But then that Italian filmmaker turned around and tried to sue uh, the filmmakers of... Um, oh shit, I forgot which movie now. This was a bit more recent. Uh, hold on. Oh, what was it? <laughs> I knew I should have written it down. Oh, this is such good radio. I know, right? I'll edit it out. <laughs> Fuck, it's not it. Anyway, trying to he tried to sue... Another film for ripping him off, based on storyline, and uh, so yeah, I, th- I think it's a hilarious cycle um, of people getting butt hurt over some aliens. alien. But anyway, yeah, I want to talk about the ending more. Um, so basically, they get out of the caves, the last two survivors, and. Um, they're making their way back, and they come across like a, an abandoned police car, and there's there's no one around. And I thought the movie was just gonna end right there, because it's like you said, this movie's slow and things run on way too long. Um, so, you know, in theory, that would be the ending, right? But no, it keeps going. They hop in the car and then they drive to an abandoned gas station, and can't find anybody there. So that's the ending, right? No, now they gotta <laughs> drive into town. They get all the way in the town, and by this point, it's blatantly obvious to me how this movie's ending. I'm like, oh, they come back out of the caves, and it's it's apocalypse. Everybody's dead and gone. Everybody, you know, the aliens got everybody. All right, I get it. 
You know, because there's like nobody on the roads. They must have shot this at like five in the morning on a Sunday or something. Because there's like nobody on the highway. They get into town, and and this is a case of like they should have just stopped because they get into town and they're going to the bowling alley, which is established at the beginning of the movie. Um, they go, they're going to the bowling alley. And when they drive up, it's this wide shot of the street, and off the distance you could see two cars with their brake lights on. At, at stoplights and at one point if you go watch in the far far distance the the farthest one the light changes green and you see the brake lights come off so there's obviously somebody in that fucking car um so i love those lack of attention to detail that italian cinema does sometimes like the arm falling off of the of the body that falls <laughs> dr butcher in dr butcher yeah i'm like you couldn't oh, have cut God. that just a few frames more like seriously no. And they shouldn't have, because that is a thing of beauty. <laughs> well, it's funny that you instantly knew what I was talking about, too, when it said arm fall off. Anyway, um, uh, so they go into the bowling alley, and there's obviously nobody there. Obviously nobody there, because they spend like five minutes establishing that there's nobody there. That everything's running automatically. The pins are still going up and down, and... The thing that confuses me is that the the ball returns ball returns are still working because bowling balls are coming up, but that's not how bowling return <laughs> ball returns work. You have to throw the ball down into the alley by a human being, and then it comes up the ball returns. So where are these fucking bowling balls coming from if everybody's gone? And then just so happens the alien happens to be there, but uh, well, is it clearly just- it wanted to throw a few rounds, you know. Yeah, have I guess. some pizza, a couple of beers, kick back. Yeah, maybe that is it. Maybe you're right. Maybe they have an alien bowling league. Maybe that's what they were doing. Yeah, right. you don't know. But is it just me, or is this a common theme, though, Brian, in Italian horror films? Of this, like they're in a secluded area, and then when they come back into the real world where they think it's safe, twist the whole world's apocalypse. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? I never get tired of that twist. Oh, no, me neither. I'm a huge fan of the downer, bummer 70s ending, and yeah, yeah, I I eat that shit up. Like, demons ended that way. The two survivors finally get out of the movie theater and come to find out demons have taken over the whole fucking world. You know, zombie ends that way. They get off the island just to find out that New York's been overridden by these zombies. You know, like, (laughs) all Italian horror films end this way, so it's awesome. Um, I finally figured it out. So the director unsuccessfully <laughs> tried to su- su- tried to sue the producers of The Descent because of a slightly similar plot. What, that they were spelunking? That's like the only similarity. The, wait a minute. The director of Alien 2 tried to sue the makers of tried to sue Neil Marshall for The Descent? Yeah. Oh my god, that's awesome. <laughs> that is okay, we can just stop right now cuz nothing is going to be funnier than that tonight. <laughs> Very true, very true. So anyway, yeah, I knew except, that'd be worth it to try digging up that nugget, yeah. The, except for the fact that nothing says heart-wrenching, spine-crushing terror like shitty atonal keyboard music played <laughs> over footage of pin setters in a bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> and that, well, that doomy music is going on for like, ever since they, when they left the cave. That's why I kept thinking the movie, the credits were going to start rolling any second. Every time they'd cut to another abandoned area, but no, they just had to, they had to drill it home more. It's like, oh yeah, okay, we're 
in Apocalypse now. Everybody's gone. paid for 18 minutes of this fucking music and we're going to use every <laughs> second of it. And they get into the bowling alley and they split off and we never see what happens to the guy. We just assume he's dead because all of a sudden she starts running and screaming because there's the monster. That's when you get the cool POV shot. And then we see another like two or three minutes of her just running down abandoned streets. <laughs> Like, we get it. <laughs> Just roll the fucking credits already. But I have to say that that last ten minutes, honestly, is my favorite part of the whole movie. That and the little girl that got her face sort of kind of ripped off, but not really. As well, we yeah, that's the first, the first time I watched the movie. Because uh, you watched it on the internet yeah. in Italian. Yeah, correct? so I had no idea what the hell was going on. I had the, no uh, subtitles or anything. I've got the the one and only release from the uh, Midnight Legacy releasing company that they put this out on Blu-ray as a smashing transfer, way better than this movie deserves. It's in English, and yeah, when that little girl on the beach at the beginning turns her face to the camera, it looks like the alien ripped it off. But then later on, they explain when that girl, the first victim of the Spelunkers, gets taken out, that the thing, like sort of splat like alien bukkakis onto your face and then (laughs) it either climbs down your throat or through your eyes or whatever so it splats onto your face and then invades your body from there and explodes back out which like i said before that's you know (coughs) they're just brainlessly ripping off alien because it makes sense in the course of alien that's the creature's life cycle Mm mm-hmm But in this, the thing that comes out is the same thing that goes in. So there's no reason for it other than more gore effects. But (laughs) Yep. And (laughs) they're not even that good at gore effects. No, it's terrible. (laughs) Oh, man. There is one good one. I will say when that dude's head falls off, the second guy who gets killed, when they're trying to rescue the girl who got the first girl who gets killed and they're trying to winch her out of that ravine, and the alien leaps onto his throat, and you don't really see what happens. Just it splats onto his throat, and then his head falls off. But presumably, what happened was the thing like <coughs> has these crazy, you know, sea lamprey buzzsaw teeth that it just spun around his neck and chewed his head off. But he falls backwards over the cliff and is like hanging down with his arms and like his head back over the rocks, and his head just sort of slides out of his collarbone and splats onto the rocks. And that was pretty cool. Yeah, is that the guy that he was hanging upside down? His head just kind of drips off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, although his when when the when the head was separating from the neck, that neck was really th- like thick. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I yeah, it, I would recommend watching it, especially if you like cheesy exploitation Italian films. Man, it's it's worth it's worth it. Absolutely. What else we got, guys? How have we gone this long now and not mentioned the cream of the crop of subterranean horror? Chud? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chud! Of course, Chud. <laughs> <sighs> not Chud 2, but the Chud. Although... Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? What? You don't like... I love Blood and Chud, man. Taste great. Less filling. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, we should do a commentary for Chud 2, Bud the Chud. 
Um, That's it. I quit. <laughs> oh, he's gone. <laughs> but the original Chud, that movie's awesome, right? Oh, fucking right! It's awesome. He's okay, back. Good. 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 <laughs> Sam, you've seen Bud the Chud, right? Or not Bud the Chud. Chud. Jesus. Uh, Bud the Chud is on my brain. The original Chud. Bud the Chud. Yeah, I just uh, I rewatched it today. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you probably have the most the freshest perspective on it as far as like remembering shit. What do you have to say about good old Chud? Um, it's uh, what can you say? It's. It's good. There's a lot going on, you know. There's a lot of uh, complex, you know, backstory and a lot of character arcs. And but yeah, it's just a good, you know, very atmospheric. Lots of great, great set pieces and the fucking creatures with those glowing eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It, you're, you're talking about like character pieces. It's very character driven because I feel like there's not enough chuds in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like they're there, and there's when when they do have scenes, they're awesome. But there's a lot that goes on in between the chud action, a lot. It almost feels kind of like a almost the fact that it's in New York, and it's all it's like these long character scenes. Um, it almost feels kind of like a Larry Cohen movie to me. Like yeah, this would be a double yeah. bill with like Q the wicked wicked uh, wing ah wing serpent that would be a double feature with Chud for me. Yeah, or the stuff it's kind of got like you know yeah the same kind of you know detective kind of stuff. So, since you just recently watched it, can you can you define both acronyms of Chud? There's two of them. Right. Uh, obviously, uh, there's Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dweller, which is, I think, sort of the, uh, that's sort of like the fake acronym, right? In the movie, uh, that turns out to be the fake one. But it really stands for (gasps) Contamination Hazard, uh... Urban! That's what, (laughs) urban... (laughs) Disposal. Disposal. (laughs) Yep. Good job. Good job. You win. (laughs) You win. Um. uh, Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) (laughs) That opening scene with the woman walking her dog on the street. Because I tried rewatching it too, but I I tried twice and started the movie too late. So I saw was the first scene. Both times, but that opening scene—it's just—it's gorgeous. It's just so, so well shot. Her walking down the street and the manhole cover, and it's like, yeah, you know. yeah. I'm glad they have that kind of opening to sort of, uh, uh, you know, foreshadow and, you know, sort of wet your tongue so you're not like waiting the whole time. I'm trying to remember. It's like f- after that, it does take a while to to get to the the good stuff. Yeah. Oh shit! I'm on IMDb trivia. Check this out. Um, here's a fun fact for you: This film features a total of three actors who would later go on to play roles in the Home Alone franchise. <laughs> I knew there was a deeper connection. Anyway, who's the third one? I don't know. Like, um, obviously Daniel Stern 
And then also, but, oh shit, I just backed out of Chet altogether. John Hurd. And John Hurd, obviously, because he played the father, but I don't know who the third one is. I will have to look, see if I can figure it out. Is Joe Pesci one of the chuds? <laughs> <laughs> good guess. That's a good guess. Uh, maybe. I don't know. While, no. I'm, when I'm, while I'm looking, anybody else have anything to say about Chud? Yeah, it is. It's just like one of those classic, like, trashy, sleazy New York movies. It's like... It'd be good for, like, a double feature with, like, Street Trash or something, I feel. Yeah. Or yeah, Slime definitely. City. Yeah, Slime City. I've never gotten into Slime City too much. Like, I don't know. Maybe because, like, I remember back in the day, magazines like Gore Zone, um, like, ran and raved about it. And when I finally saw it, I my expectations may have been too high, but... But definitely uh, yeah. Street Trash. I love Street Trash. Yeah. Yeah. I have a scene I where people are playing uh, Hot Potato with a penis. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, we've so, all been there. Just don't even... Fun story about that. <laughs> <laughs> I One of the first episodes I was on, I mentioned something called B-Fest. Do you guys remember that? So, yep. Mm-hmm. 24-hour B-movie marathon in Chicago every January. And one year they played Street Trash. Nice. And uh, it's it's held in a lecture auditorium. So there's a stage in front of the screen. And you can go down and do little like uh, performance art riff pieces in front of the movies if you so choose. And so one year we were going to, or the, the year they played that movie, <clears throat> we were going to do a little bit of... Uh, shadow cast penis keep away <laughs> because one of my buddies had what was called and i kid you not the ballsy supercock which was a gigantic dildo that he had got from a friend of his that worked at a sex shop so we were going to be chucking this thing back and forth and like a week ahead of time he was trying to find it and he lost it in a move or something so we wound up doing it with a recorder which was not nearly as funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But I still got to say ballsy supercock. You did. <laughs> Bucket wow. list. Right. Awesome. Anybody got any other movies they watched specifically for this episode? Yeah, Alligator. Sweet, you watched it for the episode? Nice. I love that movie so much. I mean, I've seen it before, yeah. Oh, sure. I I rewatched it for the episode. Um, John Sayles' brilliant writing totally Mm -hmm. elevates it above the the B-movie heritage that it hails from. Totally. Um, Yeah, like, my favorite part, and this was brought up by my buddy Tim, who will show up in uh, shout-outs, that... He introduces the cop on the edge who doesn't play by the rules character that's played by Robert Forster. Not by, we, you know, we don't meet him drowning his sorrows at a bar or leering at strippers or roughing up a suspect or any of those hoary old cliches. We meet him buying a puppy. <laughs> and that's what, in, that's what, you know, draws him into the story of this alligator. 
is because he buys the puppy from a pet shop who is selling animals on the sly to a company that is doing uh, growth hormone testing and then dumping their um, deceased experimental creatures into the sewer to avoid uh, any sort of FDA questions. And then they are all eaten by an alligator that had been flushed into the sewer by the father of a character who comes back that you would never expect. And, you know, if this was just any old shitty B movie, but like this, everything is so, comes so full circle in this movie with the herpetologist mm -hmm. character being the little girl from the beginning in the alligator yep. wrestling scene whose dad flushed her pet alligator down the toilet. And it turns out to be Ramon, the, 35 foot long <laughs> super gator who who plows his way up through the sidewalk in that awesome scene and yeah terrorizes the city so i remember when this movie came out and i was in grade school um and this was like there was two movies well i'm sorry there was three movies that when i was in grade school that would get talked about three horror movies anyway that would get talked about on the playground that were kind of like of urban legend to us children because we didn't get to see them but we've heard about them and you have that one kid's like no i saw them you know and it was texas chainsaw massacre um 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 oh shit now i can't think of the name of the movie um the check on the children movie with carol kane when a stranger calls and then uh, alligator was the third one so i, I asked the question um what came first do you think the urban legend of flushing the alligator down the toilet will grow up to be a monster in the sewer or the movie alligator do you think that spawned the urban legend no i would almost i'll be almost certain that the urban legend came well first i'd have to do some internet research to see you know like a little Snopes searching or something like that on Urban Legends to see when that first gave rise, but that seems like something that sales that would have heard. It. That the sales would have heard <clears throat> and be like, "Hey, that's a good idea for the movie," and then you know wrote his yeah, typically yeah. brilliant story around it. Yeah, because if that's the case, obviously the movie was retconned off of that Urban Legend, like so many so many good horror films are. Yeah, isn't it weird though that it's such a it's such a you know, obviously well-known urban legend and just a cool urban legend. And yet this is like one of the only movies that really explores it in, in depth. Really? You're right. I always thought that was odd. Especially with the thousands nowadays of sci-fi channel giant gator movies, even still like that, that's the only movie I can think of that. Yeah. That I mean, there's like other giant, you know, crocodile and gator movies, but none of them are like urban sewer gators. Yeah. You know, stories of sewer gators date back to the late 20s and early 30s. Oh, shit. To a quick bit of Internet searching. And there is actually uh, a, an urban legend in uh, London, even before that, um, many decades before that, of there being a giant black hog in the sewers <laughs> of London that would, uh, you know, eventually her brood would spew forth from the sewers and devour everyone in London. So that's just Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> well played sir well played no, so so sewer it's creature stories have been going on for at least a hundred years or more yeah okay that's cool that's cool yeah yeah this is one of my personal favorites i just i actually recently uh 
earlier this year, I got a chance to see it on 35 millimeter. Oh fuck! On the wow. big screen. Yeah, and uh, you know, a lot of people had never seen it before, and there was like that one shot where uh, Robert Forster and like the rookie cop, they're like down there in the sewer, and you just see like through the flashlight in the background, you see kind of the alligator pop his head out and like the audience just like gasped at that scene when he pops his head out. So it was cool to like see it with that kind of reaction. And it, that is like such a good creepy moment. And it's cool that that a movie dated like that would still have a reaction on modern audiences. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they use. I mean, the special effects are good, and in many cases, are oh yeah, even, yeah. I mean, that's it's like an thing. actual creature. So yeah, yeah, that's true too. But that's the thing with this movie. You know, the effects really hold up. I think, like the use of forced perspective and miniatures and whatnot, are really effective in this movie. I mean, yeah, there's moments where it looks like it's a giant fucking alligator walking around downtown. You know. Yeah. yeah. Was there like really any? Uh, puppet. I mean, I guess. Yeah, there's a big animatronic head that was used several times, most mostly when... in the dinner party scene. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I was just thinking the dinner party scene. And, right? and the only time, and it's it shows a couple other times, and there's also a big tail that they use to swat some people around with. Yep. Um, but yeah. the only time it really doesn't hold up is when it's required to actually chew on somebody, and then it's sort of like you can see the rubber bending in ways that an alligators. Mm armor-plated hide would not do but (laughs) but yeah for the most part like when it's not required to do anything but open its mouth and be menacing the animatronic gator is really cool so in that dinner party scene is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie and that i always saw that first because that was part of the compilation movie terror in the isles so and i had seen that long before i'd ever seen the actual full movie of alligators so that always that always stuck with me of like you know, people getting that person getting slammed against the the limousine door, and as a matter of fact, that that scene was the inspiration for my scene in Nats, where the uh, where the mayor is trapped inside of her limousine um, with all the gnats attacking on the outside. So, you know, uh, Alligator is a, a huge influence on me. I love that movie as well. Probably one of my favorite Animal Gone Wild movies. Oh yeah. And I just, uh, I just realized there's also, uh, like, I guess the TV cut was kind of different. Oh, yeah? I mean, because, like, on one hand, they, they cut out some of the blood, obviously. But oh, yeah. they, also, they also had additional scenes which aren't in, like, the theatrical cut. <clears throat> wow, cool. And there's, like, this whole, like, extra scene, which isn't in the movie at all. The theatrical version, where like uh, there's like this kid in the backyard, and her mom leaves her out there alone, and like the alligator comes out. And it's on YouTube, by the way, like all the extra footage, but it's just like a really good suspenseful scene, which I don't even know why they cut out. I guess maybe just for time, but well, it's really effective. Well, when back in the day, they used to shoot extra footage for television, for when it was shown on television, purposely just just for a television cut, because they knew other things would get cut, and they would still have to maintain a certain running time for it to be aired on television. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they would actually shoot extra scenes just for 
just to be aired on television. So, but uh, that's why I think like that shit should be brought out more. I mean, I know like the Halloween movies have done it. One and two have their like TV cuts included on certain editions and stuff. But you know, there's dozens of other movies out there that that had the had that footage that was just shown on TV and you're never going to see it ever again cuz you know they don't show movies like that on on network television anymore um, cuz everything is so in-house produced anymore uh, for television um, but uh like gremlins is one of the ones that always stuck that always stick in my mind i don't think it's ever been on any other release but i remember watching that movie on television back in the day and then watching it on video and be like, where the fuck is this scene? When they first go into the bank, right before she tells her story about her father going down the chimney as Santa Claus, they mm-hmm. find they find um, Judge Reinhold in a canatonic state underneath one of the teller windows. No, wait, in the bank vault. They find him in the bank vault, like, freaking out. And they have this, like, little scene with him. You know, because if you go back and watch Gremlins, it's got Judge Reinhold in it, but he's in one scene, and that's the bank scene at the beginning when he, you know, yells at Billy for being late, and and you're like, why is Judge Reinhold in this movie and he's only in one scene? He does have another scene, and it's him hiding in the bank vault after the Gremlins have destroyed the town. So, and I always remembered that scene, but I've never seen it anywhere else that I remember. I'll have to go back and check my. Um, DVD. I have one of those with a non-horror movie. Oh, go for it. Oh, but just my favorite movie shit. of all time, uh, Dead Poet Society. Really? It's uh-huh. haunted me to this day. Like, And they've released two special editions l- lately in the last few years. And I got so excited. I'm like, maybe this is it. And then even the last one that does have actual extra deleted scenes on it which are awesome but still not the not this kind of not not this scenes. one scene that i remember that oh. i know for a fucking fact like i wished dvr was a thing or i would have had this sucker <laughs> but yeah i just i know there's a scene where they're all at lunch and there's you, you remember it in the movie there's a scene where they're all at lunch and they're talking amongst themselves but it's left-handed day and so they're all supposed to eat um be left-handed that day because they're trying new things and experimenting and it's also spaghetti day (laughs) so these kids are trying to eat spaghetti left-handed oh man i'll so i'll never forget that scene and like i can't find that scene anywhere even youtube or anywhere like i know it's fucking real (laughs) and and uh yeah so tv cuts this isn't like cutting room floor footage where you know shit's cut out and if you're lucky, the elements maybe still exist, but they they weren't fully processed, so you know the effects aren't added in. There's no sure. score or whatever. This is something that was fully produced to be shown on television. So that shit exists. That shit exists. It's there's no cutting room it's, floor on this. Yeah. Why why do they hold that stuff it's back? It's in a vault don't somewhere. Get don't get it. But that's awesome. I didn't realize that. That's cool. I love yeah. hearing stories about about that stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. And so ever since then, just every once in a while, I'll be with somebody. I'll be like, guess what, guys? It's left-handed day. And it's like, oh, fuck. I'm glad you've never pulled left-handed day on me. I'd be screwed. (laughs) Wouldn't be able to put pants on. Um, (laughs) Well, it may not be so bad then. Anyway. um, So, yeah, alligator. Alligator. Has that ever hit Blu-ray? Does anybody know? I don't think I have it. 
That would be a great one to have. Yeah. Yeah, I've got the old, was it Image, I think, is the DVD that I've got. I mean, it's got some commentaries and stuff on it, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, I I think that's the one I got, too. That seems like a home run for Screen Factory, but. Yeah, exactly. Makes more sense than, I don't know, um, Video Dead or something. (laughs) No, sir. Crazy. Maybe there's, maybe there's some right. You know, every time that doesn't happen with a movie that you think is a no-brainer, it's more than likely like a rights issue. So, there's got to be rights tied up somewhere, or not even sure where all the rights are at, which is usually the case. It's crazy. Oh man. Well, it is at least on DVD. I think I got that same image one. Because it's got like a really shitty Photoshop cover of a. Like a little baby alligator or something on it that's tried to blow up, like they tried to blow the image up and make it look big, rather than just have cool old poster art. God, I hate that practice. Does that piss anyone else off? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's like oh, we're gonna put out a new version of this classic old movie. What we got like three different options for really cool painted poster art. Now we'll make a new shitty Photoshop montage. God, yeah. Damn it. Or when they when they retcon the cover to make it look like something modern, like when they did that re-release of Near Dark on DVD yeah. and made it look like a Twilight poster. In, in that case, I'm 100% for it, because I think I actually said this in our Vampires episode, <laughs> but I would just love to know how many dumbass teeny boppers who wanted yeah. the next Twilight knockoff thing went out and bought that movie. Like, oh, Bill Paxton slitting someone's throat with his spurs. Fuck. Well, yeah, but on the other side of the spectrum, you don't know how many times I've almost rebought Last House on the Left, thinking it's oh. a remake. <laughs> yeah, because I want to see the remake version. I'm like, oh, it's only five bucks. I'll grab. Oh no, that says Wes Craven. I don't. Want- I've got that one already. I don't need another one. No, and that's why I think again, like Scream Factory is so cool. Because first of all, their their new version of covers are always awesome looking. Yeah, because they, they actually commission artwork instead of the exactly. They commission beautiful artwork by people who know what goes on in the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and just for us purists out there, they give you the reverse side of the actual original poster art. Mm-hmm. So uh, the only problem is for me, I can never decide which one I want facing out. Right. <laughs> All right. Cool. Uh, any other movies anybody want to talk about? I'll tell you what, when you are putting together the topic of subterranean horror films, um, don't look up underground underground horror films. <laughs> don't Google that. That is an endless, yeah. endless, endless. Uh. Well, speaking of uh, Scream Factory, has anyone seen Deadly Eyes? No, I've never seen it. And I've always, that's been one of those that's like, again, cool cover. Don't know why I never watched it, but it's a fun little killer rat movie. It's based on a novel by a British author named James named James Herbert. Uh, the novel mm-hmm. is called The Rats. It was directed by Robert Klaus, who is most well known for Enter the Dragon, Black Belt Jones, Jim Cotta, and some other kung That's fu movies. That's right. Yes, it's got. Uh, you actually see a Bruce Lee poster in the background of one scene. I think some people are watching uh, Game of Death at one point, but of course, because. Um, he can't make a movie without having some martial arts in it somehow. Yeah, and it's uh, Scatman Crothers is in it, oh. and there's this great. She's like a bit part, but it's great. There's this 
fun little moment where he's like trash talking the rats before they kill him. <laughs> That's kind of fun. <laughs> but uh, basically, the idea is destruction of hundreds of thousands of bushels of contaminated grain leave the mutated rats that were feeding on it nothing to eat but people. Nice. And uh, th- I mean, it's, it's very simplistic from there on out. Most of it takes place in subway tunnels and, and uh, sewer tunnels and things. And the rats are played. <laughs> by a couple of fairly decent puppet heads with maybe a little bit of animatronic in them. And, but primarily, <laughs> primarily they're portrayed by a herd of adorably happy dachshunds in rat <laughs> costumes. <laughs> that sounds like killer shoes, man. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, now I do have to see this movie. But and in, in all the shots where there's like multiple rats and they're the dogs, you can totally tell because dachshunds and rats are not shaped the same. They don't move the same way. It's, it's just, and they're no. like their tails are wagging and shit. It's so cute. Man, I love me some killer rat movies, but I especially love me some shitty killer rat effects movies. Oh, that's awesome. You ever seen, um, and it's off topic, but we're on Killer Rats now, so I don't care. You ever seen, <laughs> probably one of my all-time favorites, and it's a very... I think I know what you're going to say, but... Of unknown the, origin? Oh, yes. Peter Weller yes. fighting that one goddamn rat that's determined to destroy his house. I love and, that movie so much. Yes. It's like a it's like a horror movie version of a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Right? <laughs> Except, like, it's serious. Oh yeah, it's serious, but Dead it's literally serious. that. This guy is chasing this this giant rat around his house and he's literally destroying his house trying to kill this rat. Yeah. It's like that movie Mouse Hunt, only like dark <laughs> and serious. Cuz there's that point like he has completely lost his shit and oh, he's yeah. down in his basement like driving nails into this baseball bat and wrapping it in barbed wire and shit. You know, like mm-hmm. I am going to fuck this rat up. <laughs> and then the then the rat'll like rip the hose out of his washing machine and flood his kitchen and be like son yep. of a bitch yep oh that movie's so great man yeah yeah and the fact that it's peter weller this pre uh robocop pre peter weller but uh and i also love it too because i love movies um simplistic simplistic stories with minimum locations and it all takes place in his apartment or in his house or whatever um, and the whole plot is is trying to kill this rat, and I'm like, that's all I need, man. I love the bit where he goes to the library and he's like looking up microfiche <laughs> slides on rats and articles on like how to kill them and what they do and the you know just all the. Oh, yeah. I want to say that was directed by someone important too. Yeah, I think you're right, but I can't remember who right now. Oh man, I'm gonna have to watch that again soon because I love that movie. Do you have it on DVD? I've got the I. George P. Cosmatos. He's the guy who directed um, Cobra, and so not really important. But he directed <laughs> he directed Cobra. He directed uh, Rambo Two. Yeah, so cool. He, okay. he, oh, he did Tombstone. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, but still, you know, somebody's done stuff, and it kind of, and the escalated violence in it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. coming from this guy. <laughs> but that's weird though. Like all the other movies he's made are just dumb action movies, but of unknown origin is really smart. Oh yeah, then there's again there's a lot of subtext in it as well. The whole yeah. the whole eighties, um, you know, uh, yuppie attitude and you know how that can all go yeah. horribly wrong and whatever. Yeah. 
God, now I want to watch that again. It's been like a year since I've seen it. That's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. That needs a Blu-ray release as well because it. I think it was Warner Brothers that put it out, and it's the DVD of it's just one of those like you know one of those cardboard covers that pop yeah. open and uh, like you put it in and it just starts playing. There isn't even a menu screen. <laughs> yeah. If I remember right, yeah. <clears throat> cool. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <clears throat> okay. A- any other movies anybody want to bring up before we uh, move on? I got some honorable mentions. But... Yeah, I was going to say I have some honorable ones. But... Why don't you go ahead, Terry? Okay. Um, As Above, So Below. I liked that one. So good. That was on my list to talk about, too, but yeah. It's kind of um, crazy. There's a lot can. of. There's... <laughs> Well, all right. <laughs> if there are enough of us that watched it, I didn't know if anyone else watched it. Yeah, I I've seen it. I actually even bought it, and that's how much I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, you know, and it's just like, I mean, it's it's the found footage thing. I'm not saying I hate found footage, but it it takes a lot to for me to like it enough to want to own it, kind of thing. Does that make any sense? This is right. one I sought out to buy because I enjoyed it so much. How would you describe it? Um, these people go down into the uh, catacombs under Paris. I don't remember why they were going down there. It's been a little seeking, bit since I watched it. Seeking, I started to try to rewatch this one too, and it was one of those that I put in way too late. Um, but there's, she was seeking, trying to finish her father's work or whatever, and he was uh, oh, searching right. for the. Um, the what is it the fa- um, philosopher's stone I think was the name of it. Yep, yep. Yeah. That's all coming back to me. Which has like I guess some kind of like supernatural alchemy powers or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically, they go spelunking and end up journeying journeying through hell. <laughs> yeah. So to speak. They, they go off the beaten path and it gets a little crazy. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was done, like, I was a little worried it was going to be kind of cheesy when I was going into it. I think I watched this one for a year-end episode, maybe. It was a newer yeah. one that had just come out. And... You're right, I think that's how I watched it, too, is for one of our year-enders. But, yeah, I really ended up enjoying it. Like, it had me really paying attention the whole time. I was, I was in it. It does two things that, or it, well, it, it does... Well, it does one thing that uh, really these so these subterranean horror films, where most of them are you know goofy fun that we've been talking about, but if you really want to terror terrify me, there's one thing you can do in these type of situations, and that is crawl through a tiny space and get stuck. Mm-hmm. Descent does that, which that movie still creeps me out when I watch it. This just like I can't sit still when I watch the Descent. And that scene with the one guy in in As Above, So Below, he gets stuck. And it's just like, oh shit, this is the scent all over again. <laughs> so it's great because it's effective. And like as much as I hate it, I love it. Because it, it does what it's supposed to do. Right. And that's freaked yeah. the fuck out of me. So. And so few movies do that. But it has more to offer than that. It just has like all this like weird supernatural stuff going on where they're yeah. seeing 
they're seeing parts of their like what was it their like worst fears or darkest memories or something like that i forget yeah it, it it takes a weird turn at one point like not like in a good way like i wasn't anticipating it being all supernaturally when i started to watch it but yeah it's like they're going through the different circles of hell or something mm-hmm. as they get closer and closer it's and crazy that, and that final scene i thought was just brilliant filmmaking when they are climbing up and wait, they're they're climbing, are they climbing down or whatever? And it ends up they're coming up through the hole or whatever uh-huh. the fuck. Very cool. And they come out of the manhole cover. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Very cool. Now, Jason, you saw it too, didn't you? Yes, I did. What'd you think? <laughs> Creepy as fuck. <laughs> Do you remember any of it much? Just not. Uh, I don't remember any movie very well. It's, Still, why question uh, having me on the show? But <laughs> it's because you uh, run the tech. Oh, that's so I know my value. Okay, you have more value than that. <laughs> Everyone giggles and says nothing. Okay, so okay, you yep. have a sweet ass Transformers tattoo. That's true. It Keeps hurts getting right bigger. Now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Yes. All those things you said. Go. Go, team. <laughs> And it's one of those that, like, I don't get hung up on the found footage aspect, where I kind of forget that it's even happening, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I can, I get so separate, I get so into the story that I separate the found footage thing. So, and I hate those fucking arguments, like, why are they still ruining the camera? I'm like, who gives a shit? It's a way of telling the story, not like, not like the, the story, you know? Mm-hmm. So, who gives a shit if they're still running the camera? But I think they even, and, and that's also, I kind of hate it because I feel like the filmmakers have to react to that. And I think they kind of write, they do write that stuff off with like, it's a lot of like head cams and shit like that or whatever. Yeah. So. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. Uh, Sam, have you seen it? No, I haven't. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what your stance is on found footage, but... I think it's definitely worth a watch if you're not a fan of found footage, because again, you can get sucked into the story. It's one and of it, the better ones. Yeah. And yeah, and it's not one of those found footage of like, oh, it's a creepy noise, and that's our whole that's a whole scary moment. There's actually some really cool like effects in it, and some really amazing elements of like demons and ghosts of past people and whatnots and. Yeah, I was I always like the catacombs is like a, a a place. It just seems really creepy. Yeah, and they do a good job with it too. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Now, Brian, you're quiet. I'm assuming you haven't seen it either. No, I did. I just didn't like it. Oh, okay. Aww. What were your What were your issues with it? I'm I'm curious. It was a long time ago. I don't remember. I saw it when it oh, first okay. came out on video okay. and. I didn't like it, and I didn't watch it again, so I don't remember much about it. <laughs> All right, fair enough. That's fine. <clears throat> cool. So, what else did you have on your um, honorable mentions list, there, Terry? Um, one. I think this one counts. Uh, P two. Is that underground enough in a parking garage? <laughs> I'll take it. I thought it counted, so sure. I'm gonna say that one. At least the bottom level. Yeah. <laughs> I've still have never seen P two. Yeah, well, it's it's all it all feels like it's underground for sure. I, yeah, I've always yeah. liked that movie. I've heard good things, but yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Any others? Honorable mentions? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll mention a, a TV episode that I saw recently uh, from Monsters, the TV series Monsters. Oh, nice. Yeah, from the 80s? Yeah. Yeah, there's an episode called Far Below, and it uh, stars Barry Nelson from The Shining. He played uh, the hotel overlook manager. Oh, okay. You might remember him. Yep. But uh, apparently this was like his last role. I think he must have retired after this. But the episode is about like this uh, sort of underground security like team. They like work security on this subway system. But uh, what what they actually do is like there's like these Sasquatch type creatures that are like in you know roaming the subway tunnels. And they're like, you know, taking them out to sort of, I guess, save humanity or something. But uh, there's like some, some like bureaucrat guy comes down to like, you know, interrogate this guy and like find out what he's doing. Because there's like some funding issue, but he's like, hey man, we're, <laughs> check this out. And he's like showing him like all the security footage, but. Anyway, the episode goes along, and then eventually the twist is that he's got one of these Sasquatch creatures locked up, and apparently he's been, like, fucking it. It's, like, his Whoa. wife. Whoa. <laughs> and, then, and, and it, like, attacks him. <laughs> but uh, she's, like, pregnant, too, so they're, like, going to have some hybrid <laughs> man-squatch child. <laughs> That monster show was one of the crazier of the 80s horror anthology TV series. And it feels like it was nothing more than like an opportunity for FX artists to, to shine. Yeah. Because every episode is about a monster, so... Yeah, and I love how like low-budget all the episodes were. Like A lot of them took place in like one room. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, it was Laurel Productions, the same production company that did uh, Tales from the Dark Side. So, mm-hmm. but even Tales from the Dark Side felt like kind of higher budget. Have so, you watched it lately? Have you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean they're great. Don't get me wrong; it's still my all-time favorite horror anthology. That's probably just because of the Laurel Production Association with George Romero. But mm-hmm. that's. Neither here nor there. But yeah, yeah, there's, there's some of those episodes that look pretty damn cheap, too. Even when they try to look bigger, they still come off as pretty cheap looking. Sure, sure. But, yeah, it's a good series, and that's, that's I think, one of the better episodes, for sure. The only episode of Monsters I remember is the zombie one with Tempest Bledsoe from The Cosby Show. <laughs> she was in an episode where she her family were zombies or she was dating a zombie or something like that. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Any other honorable mentions, Sam? Um, I mean, heck, there's a lot of good underground movies. Uh, Graveyard Shift is a good one. Yep, yep. Surprised that one didn't get brought up, especially after bringing up uh, Deadly Eyes. Yeah. I wanted to rewatch it, but couldn't get a hold of it. But yeah, Brad Dourif in that movie is 
awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brad Dourif in yeah. any movie is awesome. True. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like Sam said, that's the only reason I didn't bring it up is I didn't get a chance to rewatch it again recently enough to have some new stuff to say about it other than Brad Dourif rules and it's got a cool <laughs> bat monster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Has anyone read the original Stephen King story? Not I. No. That, that it goes a lot further than the movie does because in the movie you really? just get that one bat monster uh-huh. but in, in the King story the further down they go the more creepy weird deformed like the further along this divergent evolutionary path the creatures get so you get there's no giant bat it's it's rats in the King story so the first you know few levels of this uh, sub basement that they're going down are just you know bigger and bigger rats, and eventually you start getting you know eyeless albino rats with no legs that slither around like snakes, oh. and, and rats that have wings like bats that can fly. So it's more of a of a uh, an entire ecosystem rather than just one monster. So it's like the Gremlins two of rat movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> nice. Uh, Brian, what about you? Uh any other honorable mentions? Uh has anyone seen the movie Grim? Oh no, and I knew that was one that you were prepping for this episode too. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, it's it it opens with these people having a seance with a Ouija board. And it spells out G-R-I-M. And one of the, the girls in the room gets, you know, weird post-production <laughs> video glowing eye effect and gets a case of, uh, <laughs> of an effect pedal devil voice. And, you know, every, everyone sort of runs away and it's like the big scary intro. And then there's these spelunkers who are getting ready to go down there. There's some kind of geographical survey team, uh, who are going to investigate these strange subsidences in the in the countryside around, well, quote-unquote Virginia. It actually was filmed around Gloucester, England, and it looks like England and not Virginia, so you can totally tell. But they wind up in this cave getting hunted by this creature called Grimm, which is basically this giant troll creature. It's... Uh, Kind of looks like Rawhead Rex's slightly more humanoid cousin, and he carry <laughs> and he carries a big ass Grim Reaper scythe because why not? Um, the monster suit was uh, apparently created by Neil Gorton, who is the guy who's been building most of the practical effects monsters for Doctor Who since its relaunch in two thousand five. So, that I'm sure Jason's really excited about that. Congratulations, <laughs> you were able to get a Doctor Who reference in this episode. Because <laughs> I, I think every time I mention either Godzilla or Doctor Who, Jason has this tiny embolism. <laughs> I'll, I'll take the Godzilla talk all day. That's Just it. nothing with time travel. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, anyway. Um, He's not a yeah, fan so of the, the, the Apparently the seance at the beginning unleashed the creature. We never really find out why or what it's got some tie to one of the the women who was involved in the seance but it's never exactly explained what um there's not really a lot of plot to the movie it's mostly just let's get some people down in a cave and get them eaten by the monster um when i was looking for some 
production information on the movie online, which there really isn't any of. Um, the consensus, consensus on the internet seems to be that this movie is just about the worst thing ever, and I don't get why. And whenever I see people saying that about a movie that's at worst mediocre, I can't help but think they're kind of new to this game. <laughs> like, you just haven't seen enough bad movies to know just a kind of okay movie. But, uh, yeah, there's no plot. The acting sucks. Um, it's basically all just an excuse to get the expendable meat into the cave. But the movie does not lack enthusiasm. There's plenty of neat uh, gore scenes, and the grim suit is a really solid piece of monster making. And, uh, you know, the whole thing was shot pretty much all in real caves, which has to be a huge pain in the ass. So, you know, the filmmakers must have believed in it enough to, you know, to take on that undertaking of shooting a movie in actual caves, because that can't be easy. But, you know, it, it's never going to show up in any best-of lists, but it's worth yeah. watching. You know, there there are worse ways to spend your time than getting <laughs> hammered and watching a troll chop up torsos with a meat cleaver. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, and I, I I can see the cover in my head too. It's kind of a profile shot of the monster's face, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And because I I read about it in Fangoria, it came out in 1995. And Fang, I don't know if they still do, but Fango used to have a coming soon on video kind of like a little preview section. And I remember chopping seeing list. the mo- yep, chopping list. chopping list. There you go. Yeah. And I remember seeing the picture, of the cover. It's like, oh, that's a really cool looking monster, and being like really excited for this and actively looking out for it in the video store when we'd go to rent movies and uh yeah it's fun cool 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 um i'm hoping to see it one day now you got me kind of excited for it and i haven't been able to find it so i think i got the dvd through netflix the last time i watched it so i don't know if you have that service through them or just the streaming yeah i just got streaming um any other honorable mentions from you uh, no, I guess that's about all I got. Okay. Um, <clears throat> my honorable mentions, obviously, um, The Descent. I feel like we've probably Obvious, talked enough yeah. about The Descent on this show. So no, You can never talk enough about The Descent. It's awesome. Well, that's true, but uh, I don't feel bad about not going into it on this episode, even though it's like the movie to talk about with this theme. Um, but it got, it got some mentions here and there. Uh, Raw Meat. Uh, you've seen Raw Meat, haven't you, Brian? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I actually rewatched that one again for this episode and completely forgot to write down notes on it. But um, <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah, it's <laughs> a it's lot got of fun. Donald Pleasance at like cranked up to 11 Looney Tunes and yep. even has like <laughs> a bitchy cat fight with Christopher Lee, which is awesome. Yep, yep. Wow. Yeah, that movie's great. But it's uh, basically. Um, you know, people that are that have been trapped in the in this like um, subway tunnel for all their lives, and so it's this cannibalistic inbred family that starts hunting down people and killing them, and and the police are trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. So it's a good one. It's awesome. Uh, what waits below? I just finished watching that one today, right before recording the podcast, and that one. Um, kind of felt like it was going to go down the road of descent uh it's it was like a mid 80s movie so it felt like a a lower budget mid 80s version of the descent 
um, but definitely not as good at first. But then it takes like a more of a um, time machine or journey to the center of the earth, no budget generic version instead. It felt very much like a 60s, early 70s sci-fi film once you uh, f discover the creatures. Because basically the military is trying to set up base in this cave and they send these like scientists in at first to <clears throat> to find out if the cave is safe for them to set up this like radio transmitter um and come to find out there's like this group of 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 cave dwelling cannibal tribe like albinos that are living in the cave I wouldn't even say they're cannibals honestly they don't need anybody um I just instantly go to cannibals um but these like albino cave dweller tribe people that like, and the thing that makes me think of like 60s sci-fi is that it's not like in the descent where they're, they're humanoid, but they're more bat looking and they're kind of hunched over or whatever. No, these are just look like human beings, but with like extended foreheads, crazy looking contact eyes and just super white skin. But they, you know, in like, you would imagine in a horror movie, those type of creatures, those type of beings would be kind of hunched over, maybe walking a little bit more animal-like. But 60s sci-fi is when those type of creatures stand like even more erect, where they're like purposely trying to stand as straight as they <laughs> possibly can. That's my that's my definition between the two there, and that's what they do. They they're like they're like trying to stand as tall as they can, and like they speak their own language, and their voices are like amplified, or like they have like an effect on them that sounds so unnatural. They their skin is all white, their hair is white, and their the hair is all perfect and clean. And they're, they wear clothes, and their clothes are all white and perfectly clean. And these people live in caves. So it's definitely not out of... That is definitely away from reality altogether. And makes it feel like more like a cheesy 60s sci-fi movie more than anything else. So, or 50s. Um, so, but, you know, so I was a little disappointed in it. Um, uh, it's You can watch it entirely on YouTube for free, so... Uh, what else is what else is there? I I dodged a bullet because I put Bat People on the list, and I watched a review for Bat People before watching the movie, and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I'm not watching Bat People, because it looks <laughs> like it's the most boring piece of turd on the planet. It like sounds like it goes super slow. Basically, this guy goes into a cave, gets bit by a bat, and slowly turns into a bat creature throughout the movie. With no explanation on why just getting bit by a bat would turn him into a bat creature. Um, how I didn't even put it on our original list, but hello, my bloody valentine. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Either version. Um, there's that, also, Terry, what about that uh, Joe Dante movie, The Hole? The Hole. Mm. Yeah, I kind of thought that one would fit. Yeah, uh... Mm. Don't they but, go into the hole, though, at certain points in the movie? Um... It's mm, been a while. I don't think... Do they ever actually go in the hole? Maybe I think not. maybe I there's, like, a short... It's mostly not underground, so I wouldn't consider that one, I don't think. Alright, fine. Taking it off my <laughs> honorable mentions. It's a dishonorable mention. 
Fuck that movie. Anyway, um, you got the Tremors uh, films, which really don't... I didn't put it on our original list because they don't really take place underground, but... Yeah, just the threat are underground. That's why I didn't write them up either. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, damn, maybe we should just do an episode on the Tremors franchise because I love those movies. Yes. The original, I would argue, is one of the very few movies that I consider to be shot perfect. There's sure. literally nothing you could change about that movie that could make it any better. I agree. I fucking love Tremors. I agree, and I, I gained a whole new respect for... Well, that was when my, my Michael Gross boner really uh, you know, grew three sizes that day, the first time I ever saw Tremors. Um, and, like, my, I just... I love... You know, I, I mean, obviously, I was a Family Ties fan growing up, but, like, seeing him in Tremors, I was like, holy shit, this guy is amazing. So, and, and they should, and they haven't, Never make a a Tremors movie or TV show without Michael Gross, or else it's it's fucking pointless. Because um, he is the he's the linchpin of that whole series. He's amazing. But I also gained a whole freaking respect for Reba McIntyre thanks to Tremors. Like I thought she was great in it too. As and and yeah. and stayed, you know, stayed uh, right there along with Michael Gross on the acting chops. You know. That scene when that fucking worm breaks into the rec room and they just start grabbing guns and shooting the shit out of it. I laughed my ass off that first time through that whole scene. And just by the time I caught my breath, he when he says, you broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you? I started laughing for another ten minutes. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, those movies are awesome. Yes, they are. I like that idea, doing a whole dedicated thing to them. Flyboy will one on that one. What's that? And there's... Flyboil one on that episode. <laughs> yeah, there, there's another movie that I almost watched for this, but didn't for the same reason because it's only the monsters that are underground. The movie doesn't take place there. Called the Burrowers. Oh yeah, okay. it's it's sort of a western kind yeah, of it's... based on the same idea as the Searchers, where it's a, you mm-hmm. know like a posse trying to find some some of their uh, townsfolk that went missing, and they think Indians took them, and it turns out to be these weird ass monsters that tunnel under the ground. Yep, I remember that one. I had never seen it, but I can. I remember reading about that one for sure. Yeah. And then the last one is another one I watched for the episode, but it wasn't on my original list either. I was going to put it on the list, and I didn't think I'd find it anywhere, but then I ended up finding it on. Um, where did I find it? On Hulu, I think. Hulu? No, Shudder. It was on Shudder. Uh, Demonoid. Anybody seen Demonoid before? Early 80s movie? Negative. It's about this, uh, starts off with this, like, cult, and they chop off this woman's hand, and the hand's possessed by a demon, and it gets buried in this cave, and these people uncover it in this cave and let the hand free, and then the hand just starts, it's a, it's a total hand possession movie where, <laughs> like, it possesses, the hand possesses somebody else's hand that turns them evil until that hand gets chopped off. And then the hand kills another hand or another person and possesses them. So it it's it's a crazy ass movie. I'd I'd recommend it. Vinegar Syndrome has that out on Blu-ray. Cool, a very striking cover with the big uh, silhouette of the horned demon on the front of it. Yeah. <clears throat> Was that film by any chance the inspiration for Rob Zombie's song Demonoid Phenomena? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> more, more than likely, almost all of his song titles and lyrics are based on the weird ass movies that we like to watch. So yeah, yeah. All right, cool. 
Jason, any honorable mentions? Day of the Dead was the first one I thought of, but... Oh, yeah, that does take place all underground. God damn it! <laughs> I could have been talking about George Romero this whole episode. You still kind of <laughs> did. Oh, that's true. <laughs> like every episode. Am I uh, weird for saying that's my favorite of the trilogy? Mine, too. No, not at all. Oh, no. Okay, I've, good. I've gone back and forth on it over the years. When I first became the hardcore horror fan that I am today... That was my favorite horror film, but it, and it's or my favorite horror film and my favorite of the trilogy. But it's it's changed over the years. There have been times where it's been Night of Living Dead. And there's, um, but um, to this day, I'd have to say Dawn. But I get it. I'm a huge fan of Day of the Dead because that was the movie that really made me obsessed with special effects. I'm like, how in the hell did that zombie get up off the counter and spill his guts all over <laughs> right. the floor? Yeah, you know, it's definitely so. it's definitely the goriest and the the best effects wise, I think. And its attitude sure. is its attitude is just so bleak. Oh yeah, and yeah. like I said before, when we were talking about Italian flicks, like I just I love that downer, miserable. You're all fucked. The world sucks, and everyone's gonna die horribly. Kind of ending. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of it's like the first in this, which is still obviously. Um, talked about today in zombie cinema, especially on The Walking Dead, but it was like really the first zombie movie I can think of where the humans were more of the monsters than the uh, than the zombies themselves. And, yeah. and that was the first time George really explored that deeply. And then you watch Walking Dead and it feels like that's all it is, is the humans are more the monsters than the zombies. Yeah. That's why I cannot stand that show. It's like Romero's 40 year old reheated leftovers it's just <laughs> if, if I want to see that shit done right I'll watch The Walking Dead or I'll watch Dawn or god damn it <laughs> Day of the Dead thank you there's so many of the dead <laughs> yeah if I want to see that done right I will watch Day of the Dead if I want to see it done by a bunch of fucking rank amateurs I'll watch Walking Dead <laughs> but hey um, Greg Nicotero directs all the episodes nowadays so <laughs> Yeah, but he doesn't write them. Oh, okay. And that's right. the writing that's shitty. I don't have a problem okay. with the direction. It's <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, I, Jason, Jason, and I, I think are finally done yeah, we're with the done. show again. Yeah. yeah. After the season premiere with with Negan, I think I'm done. You know, I I don't know how many times during his like, you know, his grinning freaking. Smartass attitude. Hey, I'm a badass, and I'm gonna make make evil quirks at these people. How many times I rolled my eyes at that shit? I'm like, oh, fucking, get so sick of this. Like, I'm the bad guy, and I'm gonna show you I'm the bad guy because I say like really nasty things and laugh about it. You know. So he's Colonel Rhodes. Without as much profanity, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Colonel well, Rhodes was just like, I think he was just too uptight. He needed to get laid. <laughs> well, he almost did a couple of times. Part, <laughs> part, of the, part of the tension of that movie. Yep. <laughs> oh, all right, yeah. Great honorable mention, Jason. Thank you yeah. for bringing up George Mero again. Appreciate it. <laughs> for you, buddy. Yeah. Okay, so with that said, um, let's take a break, and we, when we come back, it'll be 
Segments time on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Be right back. And now, before the next show starts, let's enjoy an intermission. We are visiting room 10 to see an exhibit on courtesy. May I present Mrs. Anderson and her son Bill, who is in the class. They too have come to see the exhibit. Let's watch to see if the people actually display courtesy. It's just a farmhouse and looks pretty innocent from the road. But once you're inside, you'll see what really happens on a terror farm. Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Coming in the dead of night. Coming to plant the living and harvest the dead. Are you strong enough? More raw terror, more stomach-turning shock than you can take. Therefore, we warn you, don't eat before you see Invasion of the Blood Farmers, and you'll have nothing to lose. They plant the living and harvest the dead. Invasion of the Blood Farmers, released by NMD Films, in color, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Greetings, Earthlings. My name is Clorax from Uranus. The, the planet. The planet. And I am here to destroy the planet Earth. That is unless you donate to Attack of the Killer Podcast Patreon. By donating to Patreon, Attack of the Killer Podcast will give you several amazing perks. For $1 a month, you will get access to donor-only activity feeds and updates, commentaries, and messages from the Attack of the Killer Podcast crew. $2 or more a month, you will get that and listing your name on our website. $3 or more a month, you'll get all of that, plus the playlist of all of the Attack of the Killer podcast music, including my favorite, like this one. Attack of the Killer podcast. Attack of the Killer podcast. $5 or more a month, you'll get a personal shout-out on the upcoming next episode. And for a measly $10, you get to pick the next commentary track episode that Attack of the Killer Podcast does. Yes, you will get to pick one commentary track that the Killer Podcast crew will lovingly and hilariously talk about and make fun of throughout the film for your enjoyment and pleasure. So, in order to save your measly little planet, be sure to donate to the Attack of the Killer Podcast Patreon campaign. That's patreon.com backslash A-O-T-K-P. And we're back. So, segment's time on Attack of the Killer Podcast. So it's time for the one we always start with, um, and that is shout-outs. It's time for... Shout-outs! 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 Is that a question, or was that... Uh, <laughs> I just forgot didn't know if you were ready for it. Like, like, yeah, been... Oh, I'm doing it on my phone instead of the computer, so oh, okay. that's, that's why it was weird for you. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but it looked like you forgot the name. Anyway, <laughs> shout-outs. What's up, everybody? Thanks for all your awesome replies. We'll start on Facebook. Just ask, what are your favorite subterranean horror films? And we'll start it off. Jack Christensen says, Day of the Dead. See, he remembered. He's cool. Woo, Jack. And Jack's, uh, Jack's cool. He's got a cool band, sort of. Anyway, next up, Tim Lennerer. He said, hard to go wrong with Chud. Chud. Because it's one of those really rare horror movies that has left-wing point of view and some really great slimy monsters. 
If Tremors isn't the best American monster movie ever made, I'm not sure what is. Though the greasy-haired, paranoid, gun-fondling survivalist character probably plays really differently in 2016 than it did in 1996. (laughs) (laughs) Still up, Bert. And then he also says, Arachnia had a big spider cave in the third act and charmingly dodgy stop-motion spiders rather than dog-shit CGI. Okay. Arachnia. Okay. Next, we have Thomas Burdinsky says, The Descent. Yeah. So yeah. good. I mean, sorry, Brian. He it's amazing. It. Matthew Tangens. <laughs> no, I love The Descent. Oh, wait, Descent. That's right. It, it's As Above, So Below I didn't like. Yeah. But the Neil, Neil Marshall stuff. can do no wrong. Okay, you're right. Did you like Doomsday? Fucking right I like Doomsday. Yeah. That was like, let's take <laughs> everything John Carpenter did that wasn't a horror movie and put it in a blender. That's about right. That's not. You're not wrong. I consider it like five movies in one. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just when you think like, oh, it's a horror movie. No. No. It's it's Next. a post-apocalyptic. No. Um, it's a Knight's Tale. No. You know, what the, it's Mad Max. What the fuck's this movie? It, it's it, plus it vaporizes a bunny with a fifty caliber machine gun. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, and now we have Matthew Tang and says, The Descent and As Above, So Below. See, there's where you apologize. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Next, Derek John says, He's The Descent, apologize. The Pyramid, Mimic, Midnight Meat Train, and Creep 2004. Also, re- also Return of the Living Dead 3. Hope these are what you meant. Yeah. Return of the Living Dead 3 is almost all in the sewers, and how the fuck did I forget about Mimic? I know, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, Mimic. Um, did anybody see that Del Toro director's cut? Yeah. Is it is it Great. better? Yes. It's much <laughs> awesome. better. Cool. It's like 20 minutes longer or something like that. Oh, and nice. It makes more sense, and yeah. Because didn't it get it taken away from him or something during production, or he kind of lost control of it? Or what? Yeah, it was his first he, time he working the, the movie. movie and handed it over, and then the Weinsteins just did whatever they wanted with it. Yeah, fucking Weinsteins. Because that's what they do. Yeah. All right, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, thanks, Derek. And speaking of Derek, we got Derek Patello. He says, The Descent, Day of the Dead, Nightbreed. There you go. There's some Nightbreed love for you. Yeah. And he didn't say any Italian films. That's weird. Dark tells. <laughs> um, all right. And we got Gavin R.R. R. Smith. He says, Gotta agree with Tremors, The Descent, and Day of the Dead. And I would just say Alligator. My favorite Jaws ripoff counts. Yeah. Also yeah. fond of The Boogins and Deadly Eyes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Was he Rat listening puppies. to the episode while he was writing that? Yeah, Rat so. puppets, nice. <laughs> and then we got our pal Mark Morris. He says, Mark. the mole people. <gasps> oh, I feel yeah. dumb now. Some classic universal action. I love that movie. And what's what's interesting about it, it's, it's your typical, like the mole people themselves are your typical universal monster where they're not really evil you know it's it's the uh it's the other ones that are like the bad guys the mole people are just kind of like the henchmen kind of thing um but i always found it fascinating too that 
that one never really caught on, like the Wolfman or Dracula or Frankenstein or the Mummy. Yeah. And Mark also says, and I suppose sections of the original Invaders from Mars, 1953, could be considered subterranean. Okay. Yeah? Back that up. Mark knows what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Jose uh, Ranhel says, The Descent. Right on. Steve Vessel says, Raw Meat. It still makes me tear up at the beginning. Aww. Yep. Uh, Nick Leadham says, I thought 10 Cloverfield Lane was pretty good. Didn't care much for the last act, though. Mmm. Mm. See, you gotta watch it, Mike. <laughs> Alright. Uh, ben Smasher says, I-, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh. Like, there's enough letters there, he could have typed that into Google and found out. Anyway. <laughs> oh, Ben, subterranean means underground. <laughs> Yeah, don't type that, you said. Yeah, don't type in underground. Uh, Jean-Claude Campbell Morera, Morea, Morera, says the host. The host. Yeah, it's a Korean, uh, South Korean monster movie from about ten years ago or so. I just don't remember. Oh, yeah, I know. I just don't remember anything. That movie's awesome. A great deal of it takes place in the sewer system. Again, when it takes those two little girls, it takes them into its lair, and it's in the sewer. So, yeah, that's right. Probably about half the movie takes place underneath the city. God, that movie kicks ass. It is. It is kick ass. And I just, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of like misshapen, like the current generation of like misshapen CGI monsters. Like uh, like the original Cloverfield monster, I'm just like he is too tall for those skinny ass legs. He would like break in half, you know. Mm-hmm. Like like physic like physical attributes that defy the, the laws of of nature, um, you know. Like overly designed monsters, but there's something about this that like totally mutated tadpole and the host that I think looks fucking cool. Yeah. Probably because it also moves bad. Like, it does not, like, run super smooth or anything like that. It kind of trips over itself a lot and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And and so, like, it's totally grotesque mutated form that defies the laws of nature actually makes sense that, you know, because he can't move as well. He just, yeah, it's a great movie. It almost looks like it hurts it to run on land. Yeah, yeah, true. So good. And I suppose in theory, that new movie, the the host with the aliens and the, it takes place underground quite a bit. They live under. Anyway, never mind. It's a teeny bopper movie. Wow. <laughs> I've read the book. It's really good. Anyway, Jason Cooter says the Descent. Derek Eulen. Derek. Derek says graveyard shift. That I don't know what that word is. Uh, that really scared the shit out of me as a kid. Um, Anna Keller says another vote for as above, so below. I put it on once because I needed background noise while I did other stuff, and I ended up glued to the TV. So <laughs> amazingly good. <laughs> that is kind of the problem with uh background noise movies is like um 
there are times where I haven't gotten shit done because I just end up watching the movie. Yep. <laughs> and then we had James M. Hedrick says, Chud. Chud. Sue Pitcher says, Y'all are crazy. I did. Uh, she probably doesn't talk like that. <laughs> but I want to say it that way. Huh? Y'all are crazy. I did see Invaders from Mars, 1953, in movie theater because I'm old as dirt. I like Sue. She talks funny. Um, our pal Amber. Thanks for listening, Sue. Appreciate thanks, it. Sue. Please come back. Uh, Amber Collins Tracy. We know her. Yeah. Uh, she says, Chid and the Descent. And lastly, the best comment of all, because I don't know what if it's on the right post or not this person posted i'm so confused by it but maybe you guys can help me uh it's k colliner ernst says i'm gonna stick with ghosts because i'm not good at picking the sex of babies heart heart shirt is awesome <laughs> k i don't know what's happening i'm too afraid to what anything. the fuck I'm going to stick with ghosts uh, because I'm not good at picking the sex of babies. Like, in what conversation does that even make sense? Like, is he, like, quoting the movie? I don't know what's happening. But the sh think. shirt is awesome, she says. If it wasn't for my horse, I'd never right. have left never college. Spent college. <laughs> never spent that year in college. Yep. It's exactly the same thing I thought. <laughs> Oh my god, that's like the greatest. Who is that? K. Colliner Ernst. You win, K. Yep, you got comment of the night. Written in English, sent through Google Translate into Chinese, sent through Google Translate into Portuguese, (laughs) sent through Google Translate into Ancient Greek, and then back into English. It has to be. And that's what you get. I'm going to stick with ghosts. Because I'm not good at picking the sex of babies. Can we name the episode that? I wish. It's too long. Okay, we're not making fun of you. We just don't know what the hell's going on. I don't care. That's fucking amazing. I'm making or fun of you. Okay, you're my idol. I want to see that movie. That's all I know. Well, that's all we have on Facebook and over on Twitter. We got Slaughter Film at Slaughter Film 1 says, Chud. Hey, and that's shout-outs. Shout-outs! Woo! Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick with ghosts. Because I don't know how, to pick, how to pick names of babies. That's beautiful. That's poetry. Brian thinks they might have been trying to describe the plot of the seventh curse. <laughs> I think it's a haiku. Maybe it's a haiku <laughs> about there. Well, it's not in the correct format. If it was a haiku, oh, Terry would know. <laughs> you can't. You it's can't three restrict lines if it's a haiku. You can't restrict art, Terry. You just can't well, call it a haiku. haiku this is a specific form. So yeah. Zoom tight. <laughs> hey, speaking of Terry. So speaking of Terry, <laughs> it's time for her segment: Wicked Women with Wear Tear. Oh oh oh! oh, oh. Uh, tonight I'm going to talk about uh, one of 
everyone's favorite scream queens, uh, Miss Barbara Crampton. Yay, Barbara Woo! Crampton! She's pretty awesome. Um, her first acting gig was back in 1965. She started out on an episode of Days of Our Lives. Um, she did a couple of TV things after that. Her first big movie role was in De Palma's Body Double. I have not mm. seen this movie. Has anyone else seen that? I got it on VHS. Nice. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that was her first big movie. And then she did a comedy called Fraternity Vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but her big uh, debut on the horror scene was in Reanimator, which so many people oh, love her, her for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, then um, her next big movie was Chopping Mall. Another one of Mike's faves. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> then she kind of catches her uh, groove in the horror realm here, and she goes on to do From Beyond, which we just did an awesome awesome commentary track on recently, FYI. Um, then she kind of falls into uh, the Charles Band circuit a bit, looks like. Does a movie called Pulse Pounders, which I've never heard of. Sounds hot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's a Charles Band movie, so. Um, Trancers 2. Nice. And Puppet Master, all around the same time. Um, And then also a movie called Robot Wars, which... Stuart Gordon. It's a great movie. Uh... Is it, uh, no, it's not Stuart Gordon. I'm oh, I'm thinking it, Robot Jocks. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's an Albert Band movie, so basically still Charles Band. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then she kind of uh, takes a bit of a fork in the road and starts doing a lot of uh, soap operas and daytime TV. I actually didn't know this about her until I started looking into it, but she had some like pretty big-time reoccurring roles on... Some pretty big shows, like Guiding Light was her first big one, Um, Bold and the Beautiful, Hmm. and also The Young and the Restless, like, like huge. Like, she was in 141 episodes of The Bold and the Beautiful. I've never seen that show, but yeah, so she's like a main character in this shit. I had no idea that she did that. That's crazy. That's cool. Um... She also did, in 95, she did Castle Freak. Yeah. Castle Freak. So, yeah, she kind of delved off into the daytime TV for mid to late 90s. And then she kind of started doing some weird sci-fi movies and just random comedies. I think it kind of seems like she was maybe trying to not be that horror girl. Mainstream it a little. Yeah, um, and then, well, let's see. Oh, and she was in The Young and the Restless, too. Did I say that already? I did. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so after that whole run, then she kind of comes back into the scene in 2011 with You Are Next. So that sort of shoots her back into horror, and she's been doing that stuff ever since. Lords of Salem and We Are Still Here. 
And more recently, um, she's actually, it looks like she's getting into some producing. Um, movie called Road Games and Beyond the Gates are both two recent horror films which she acts acts in as well as produces for. So, And it looks like she's got some more up uh, in the books coming up here. So she is still in it to win it for sure. It's pretty awesome. I wonder if that Road Games is a remake of the original. Yeah, the Australian movie that was uh, written yeah. by the guy who wrote Razorback. Yep. I'll tell you what, Mike. Mm. She still looks good. Oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> like, for real. Yeah. No, I'm serious. <coughs> oh, you've seen her for whatever. No, I'm just, no, I'm just saying. I follow her Instagram, I'm just saying. She is sadly sort of starting to get put into mom roles, though, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's oh, hit that. She's a that fall. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Barbara cool. Crampton. Barbara Crampton, good pick. Yeah. Love. You have got to be fucking kidding me, Dana said when Sean pulled his car up in front of the boarded-over mine entrance and turned off the engine. This was your big surprise? There's no way I'm going in there. Can't you just grope me in the back seat like a normal person? Hey, where's your sense of adventure? We might even see a ghost, said Sean. There's a ghost now? Of course there is. Oh, come on, you've heard the stories by now. I know you're still sort of new in town, but you must have heard something. <coughs> I try to ignore superstitious hillbillies, Dana said. Stick around here long enough. We'll have you telling spook stories over a jug of moonshine and seeing haints around every corner. Dana sighed. Okay, I can tell you really want to, and you're not going to stop bugging me until you do, so out with it. The story or my... Yes, the damn story. <laughs> okay, Sean laughed. Well, back in the 1800s, this was one of the richest seams of silver in the state. Hundreds of men moved here to work and brought their families with them. One day there was a cave-in. The mine shaft collapsed, killed 50 or 60 men, Word got back to town, and everyone came to see if their fathers and husbands were all right. Amongst all the moaning and wailing and tears of joy for those who were safe and mourning for those who weren't, the son of a miner named Mike walked into the mine calling for his dad. Everyone was so busy, they didn't notice the kid, except for Mike. He was laid up on a stretcher in one of the outbuildings with a broken leg, but he heard his boy's voice over the din. He tried to hobble out after him, but the busted leg made him too slow, and with everything, everyone shouting and hollering, no one paid any attention to one more hurt man shouting and hollering. Well, Mike's boy wandered into the mine entrance just as another collapse buried everything that wasn't already buried. Oh my God, that's terrible, Dana said. Not as terrible as what happened next. Mike went mad with grief, blamed the whole town for what happened. As soon as his leg healed up, he took his trusty pickaxe and took his revenge. Hacked nearly two dozen people to death before he came back out to the mine site and killed himself. A few years later, they reopened the mine. Can't let all that silver go to waste, after all. The disturbances started a week or two after the reopening. Miners disappearing. Sometimes they'd find the bodies with big gouges in them like a pickaxe would make. Sometimes they never found them at all. Some said they saw the ghost of insane Mike as they came to call him, prowling around the mine shafts. Well, eventually the seams dried up and they closed the place down. Even so, to this day, some people say you can still see Mike walking around out here looking for people to kill to avenge the death of his son. And this is supposed to get me in the mood? 
Well, they say fear's an aphrodisiac. Let's go check it out. Sean dropped a flashlight in Dana's lap and got out of the car. Rolling her eyes, Dana followed Sean toward the boarded-up mine entrance. Sean yanked loose a couple of boards and jumped inside, turning on his flashlight and disappearing into the darkness. Hey, wait up, Dana shouted after him. No reply. God damn it, Sean, you better not jump out and scare me. She waited for a moment. Still nothing. Then a scream. Sean? She shined her light through the entrance. Sean? This isn't funny. Sean! Still no reply. Shit. Dana closed her eyes, took a deep breath, and stepped inside. The light could barely cut through the darkness inside the mine, so thick it was like trying to see through a pool of tar. Sean, if this is a joke, stop it right now. I give up, okay? I'm scared. Your stupid story was very scary and you made your point, so come out. After the echo of her voice died away down the tunnel and no response came back, she swore under her breath and began walking down the tunnel. It wasn't long before her foot splashed into a puddle, soaking through her shoe. When she shone her light down to see if there was any other obstacles she needed to avoid, she realized the liquid that had splashed up her leg was red. Swinging the light up ahead of her again, she saw Sean leaning up against the wall. God damn it, you fucking asshole, what did... The rest of the words froze in her throat. Sean wasn't leaning against the wall. He was pinned to it. Fragments of skull and gobbets of brain dribbled down over his face and embedded in his forehead, driven in with such force that the point was buried in the rock wall behind him, was Insane's pick. <laughs> the best. Oh, that's Bravo. awesome. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's so good. My pleasure. Ah, <laughs> oh, the only problem is I can't live up to that, man. <laughs> keep writing these amazing intros. I can't live up to it. So this Insane's Pick is a movie I watched for this Halloween season. I've been wanting to see it for a long time. And Shudder, again, had it on there. And that was the WNUF Halloween Special from 2013. Normally I don't pick movies that are this current for Insane's Picks, but what makes this movie so great and kind of makes me f- it makes it fall into the senseless fodder that I usually talk about on this segment is that it's it takes place in 1987 <clears throat> um, from an original broadcast on WNUF where they were broadcasting their annual Halloween special so the whole movie plays like a television broadcast in 1987 complete with full commercial interruptions so and it's all like these like locally made commercials and the attention to detail to make this look like something out of 1987 is amazing it is so much so that the halloween special itself was shot on video when they filmed when they filmed this so the plot the plot is a uh, local TV personality Frank Stewart leads a, a husband and wife paranormal investigating team and their cat plus a Catholic per, a Catholic priest through the haunted Weber house a house 
house of local legends where years prior gruesome violent murders take place and as the night goes on strange things start to happen i loved this movie now it's it kind of lacks um on some of the tension and scare and atmosphere when it actually gets to the halloween special part and things start getting a little crazy you're you sit through like a lot of like commercial like the whole thing starts off with the local news broadcast which leads into the halloween special that plays right after it um and when it finally gets to like weird things going on in the house and scary stuff starts to happen and um you know people start disappearing and the cat dies and whatever um it's not that like atmospheric and scary you know it 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 doesn't really do a good job at that but what it does a great job is capturing the atmosphere of local television in 1987 the news broadcast feels authentic all the commercials feel like they're real locally made commercials um my only issues with it is that you know and it's minor stuff but i only bring it up is because they it just feels like they tried so hard to try to recreate something here that first off i remember local television back in 1987 and a lot of those same commercials played over and over and over again and there's not a lot of repeated commercials that play in this um but so there's that. And then the other thing is too, they show a lot of like um you know, television commercials for television shows and commercials for movies being shown on this network. Um the television shows are excusable, but like the commercials for the movies, there's like a sci-fi one that looks like it's just like you know, again, like super cheap low budget 1987, but it looks a little too cheap. Like, you know, where are these getting these TV shows and movies from? Are they also produced by the local television station? Because they feel like they're on the same production value as the local news or the Halloween special or these local commercials. Now, again, that's minor things, but I, I only bring it up is because, like, um, it just feels like they tried so hard to capture that and capture that whole essence of 1987 um, local television. You just get a whole sense for this whole town in this movie which is great because you'll see a news broadcast about the about the local dentist who's doing this campaign to have the local the local children bring their halloween candy he gives a dollar for every pound of halloween candy that the kids bring so that the kids aren't eating candy and rotting their teeth and then later on during this during the broadcast you'll see a commercial for that same dentist office so it's cool little connected connected dots like that that makes this so compelling and fun and such a nostalgia piece for people like me that grew up in the 80s um now if you're looking for something you know rather paranormal activity or blair witch project you're not going to get that at all in this it like i said when it gets to the actual horror part of this it's not scary at all it feels like this is played more as a nostalgia piece and also played for laughs more than anything else because there's a lot of funny stuff in it you know it, and it's it's listed i am on imdb as a horror comedy um 
<clears throat> but I really appreciate what they've done here. It's something different, different and unique, and it's a lot of fun. And I highly recommend checking it out. I even, I even like how far they went as far as they did a whisper campaign when they made this movie, where they would go to like a local um, VHS convention in Pennsylvania, and they took like about fifty copies of the movie with them on VHF, VHS, and just left them uh, kind of spread out through the convention for people to find and take home and watch and um and then also when they were in baltimore they would throw copies of the vhs tape out the car out of their car windows for people to find and pick up and 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 watch as well so um if they were really trying also if they were so if they were really trying to go for trying to trick the audience into thinking that this tape is real again i take issue with some of the some of the production of some of the commercials uh, especially ones that are supposed to be of movies and whatnot, um, so it fell a little short on that aspect. But if it's just for a satire and parody of what television was like in 1987, it hits the mark very, very well. And <clears throat> I would recommend it if you were a kid that grew up in in the 80s and watched a lot of local television broadcasting. Uh, this is definitely for you. So check out the WNUF Halloween special. Awesome. Yeah, it looked so cool. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. And there's moments, too, where, like, the movie fast does, like, as whoever recorded this or whatever off of television would fast-forward during certain parts, so you're not always having to sit through every single commercial break and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of appreciated too, because they wanted it all there, but they also realized too that no one's going to watch like a three hour of like, um, local commercials and news and all that stuff. So, so that's it. That's That's this episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. And as we, uh, draw this episode to a close after this great election year. With our president in the White House, we will be joining the chuds of the world and the <laughs> the bat chuds from the Descent movie and the cannibal family and um, raw meat because uh, it's a lot less scarier down there now than it is up here. So thanks for listening, everybody, and good night. Oh, no.